Westorians. Happy Sunday or Monday or whatever day you choose to listen to this episode. Hope you're having a good day wherever you are. Uh, hope we can help with that a bit. <laughs> we are here to talk about the trouble with attorneys. But it's no trouble for you. It's trouble for the people holding them. It doesn't always go the way they intended. It doesn't always have the impact they intended. And sometimes the intention is entirely everything but what it seems to be. All the games and battles and fun often masks quite a few other agendas, hidden or otherwise, known or otherwise. And we're here to discuss that general Some, thing. Sometimes the outcome is the opposite of the intention. That also. is very true. <laughs> yes, sir. You are correct. I see you've got your hedge knight shirt there, your Duncan egg sigil, or your well, dunk sigil, not egg <laughs> sigil. But yeah. Sir Duncan the Tall. Sir Duncan the Tall. That's right. I've got a green man shirt myself today. It is not a green shirt, though. It says green man, but it is decidedly gray. So, hmm. <laughs> I don't know about that. Shout out to our friend Nina, good queen Allie with one L.tumblr.com. She provided as Almost always is the case. Some excellent notes for us to talk about. And on her blog, goodqueenalley.tumblr.com, the latest post is a discussion whether Viserys could have abdicated to Rhaenyra rather than just waiting till he was decrepit and unable to actually rule personally. And, well, short answer is yes, he could have, but <laughs> as to why and other factors, well, you'll want to read the blog post. We'll be at the Game of Thrones convention in Los Angeles next week. All three of us, plus others. And so there won't be an episode. Uh, we'll be back the week after. But maybe we'll have some fun content. We did a vlog when we went to San Diego Comic-Con. So I don't know. Maybe we'll yeah. think of something. We'll see what's going on and, and maybe post whatever happens. The, the con's a little bit uh, disorganized at this point, but we're never going to have a good time. We're never going to see some, some stars. And see what happens. So we'll report on that, whatever is worth reporting on. And yeah, so that'll be cool. But we'll be, we will be streaming on Christmas and on New Year's. They both land on Sunday. So it's funny we're taking these other days off, but not the ones you might expect. So <laughs> the, the show must go on. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is voted on by patrons, as usual. It beat out The Life of Harwin, The Basilisk Isles, and Under the Dragons, The Riverlands. Those were the three other topics that were available, and this was the winner. Our trivia question to start off. Which knight wins a joust against a knight in the hands tournament, as in the one held in honor of Ned Stark? So this person defeated a knight and then actually killed them for real later. 
which night did that? As far as I know, that only happened once in this tournament. There may be... It's possible there's another one, but I think there's just the one. If you can name them, you get to, you get to pat yourself on the back. Bonus points, meaning bonus pat on the back, if you can name the victim as well. Though I suppose if you know one, you probably know both. Sean picked out a good quote for us to start with. Let's hear it. Let me ask real quick, by the way, is the trouble with tournaments, is that a plan? The trouble with tribbles? Is that a, a little bit. reference you're trying yeah, to Yeah, a little, a little bit, bit, yeah. <laughs> a little Star Wars reference. That was the first? Star Trek. Star Trek. Oh, my bad. Yeah, whoops. Heresy. <laughs> I called Star Trek Star Wars. My goodness. Start the whole podcast over. I, and I mean the whole, like, I'll delete all the episodes. Start over. <laughs> yeah, trouble with tribbles. That was the first Star Trek episode ever, wasn't it? I think it was number. I, I don't think so. I, th- I think it was in the first season. Yeah. This is the fifteenth episode of the second season. It was. Oh, it's not even fans. close. Okay. Damn. So where did I get that from? All right, that. I'm just wrong, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, well, yeah. <laughs> again, burn down the whole podcast. Start over. <laughs> it's the hands turning that's the cause of all the trouble, my lords. The commander of the city watch complained to the king's council. The king's turning. Ned corrected, wincing. I assure you. The hand wants no part of it. <laughs> Ned is an important bellwether for tournaments here. He kind of gets that uh, they don't really serve the purpose that they that they intend. They don't really accomplish much. They cost a lot of money. There's a lot of extra effort that goes into them that are, isn't necessary. Ned doesn't... Yeah, there's a lot of things about them Ned doesn't like. He, he has a bias too. Like maybe, at least sometimes, they do serve a good purpose sure. or they are worth the money. But they don't really have them in the North. You know, so Ned's not really accustomed to this in the first place. And this tournament has some particular troubles. Yeah, right? he definitely so, doesn't want it to honor him. He's like, no, I like yes. Robert just <laughs> wanted it as an excuse. <laughs> Here's a little bit I wrote to start us off. There's a lot of aspects to tournaments. We're not going to cover all of them. Not all the tourneys, certainly. There's so many, as you'll see as we go through this. There's just an inordinate number. They're really a constant thing that don't always get like a special title or the tournament of this or that. There's sometimes they're just a tournament and it happened and it was small. But they're really, there's a lot of unnamed ones, basically, especially in certain eras. Like during the era of Viserys, we got the idea that there was lots of them. House of the Dragon showed a couple or one and talked about others. But if we were, if they were really to show all the tournaments that had actually happened in that era, it would have been literally dozens, like many per year, (laughs) it seems like. So not to mention ones that Viserys didn't throw himself. There would have been other ones. But yeah, it really just emphasizes how much of a party... Viserys's reign was for for a lot of people when really there were problems going on. So we'll we'll be focusing on how tourneys show the state of the realm. As we saw, a lot of times you can tell a lot by how people behave during them or what they bring to the table or how aggressive or not aggressive they are or what they're trying to prove or not prove or things like that. You had something you wanted to say, Sean? I just want to be an apologist for Viserys. There might have been more troubles if not for the tournaments. And maybe that gave people some focus, some something to use their time and energy on that kept them from doing other worse things. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Now, so what we'll so we'll be focusing on whether that is a good thing or bad thing, or both. Sometimes it's it shows satisfaction or unrest, anything in between. Tournaments provide cover for like-minded lords and knights to meet without suspicion. If a couple of storm lords are all meeting, you know, under cover of darkness are all hanging out together. Someone might start to get suspicious. Are they plotting rebellion? Are they doing what is going on? They keep meeting like this and that. And, but if you're all gathered for a tournament, I mean, there's no suspicion, at least not automatically, right? You're supposed to be there. You're supposed to be hanging out. It, it, so it provides cover for conspiracy theories or actual conspiracies. Because sometimes 
it is just paranoia. Like, what are those guys doing hanging out? Well, you get into someone like Ares. Sometimes Ares was right. Like, Ares was right about the tournament in Heron Hall, but he was obviously paranoid about a lot of other things that didn't happen. It provides fodder for conspiracy yes, theories. Yeah. Cover for conspiracy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's a better way to put it. <laughs> and there's other, of course, in cases like Duncan Egg in the Mystery Night, they think there's no suspicion. <laughs> they were like, no one knows we're meeting here. Ah, it's clever Blackfire. When actually, no, they, they figured you out. But it was, that was one of the more stark examples, Blackfire examples, really, but <laughs> of a tournament that's not what it seems. They went way too far on leaning into the, we can use this as a cover story. It's like, eh, it's not that much of a cover. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the tournament Heron Hall, of course, is probably the most famous tournament of all in all of A Song of Ice and Fire. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We'll, we'll get into it specifically, but we're not gonna be able to cover everything about the tournament of Heron Hall because it really did have like everything, right? It's probably, it is probably the most important tournament in all of the fandom. We're not going to talk about Brandon and Ned and Ashara and Barristan and all that fun drama, but we're going to, we acknowledge that it happened and that wouldn't have happened without this, with this tournament setting the stage for that. It's something that also obviously affects the story deeply. And it's hard to draw a line exactly where the overlap for what's, what counts as tournament conspiracy and what counts as just stuff that happens at tournaments. It's not a clear, distinct line we can draw because obviously that had a big effect on politics what happened with ned and Shar and 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 brandon and etc still got to draw the line somewhere for the same reason we won't have to say about things like tournaments where jorah won and married Lanes. that politics mattered and there was probably stuff happening at that tournament there were probably lords and ladies talking maybe even doing deals but but everything we know about the tournament is from jorah's perspective like he wasn't involved in any of that he was just stars in his eyes trying to do his best and had the favor of Lanes on his arm and he was that's all he was thinking about right he wasn't thinking about anything else so he's not exactly our window to political goings-on at that tournament whatever they may or may not have been on the other hand, we're still wondering to this day why Lord Hightower consented to marry her to him, of all people. That was unusual. And maybe politics was involved. So we can even say there probably was some under-the-radar stuff going on there. We just don't know what it was. All we can do is kind of point to it and say, there's more to that story, <laughs> but we don't know what it is. There's a lot of uh, being results-oriented, too, yeah, right? Yeah. There's, there might be a lot of intrigue in these different tournaments that didn't come to fruition, yeah. didn't make the history books. So the ones that did, we focus on more. Man, it makes sense. One uh, example that does fall well within our wheelhouse is Tywin wanting to marry Cersei to Rhaegar at the tournament for Viserys' birth. It was the whole point of that tournament. He held, his, Yes, it was Viserys' birth. That was the the reason for the celebration, but the purpose <laughs> was to marry Cersei mm. to Rhaegar. The whole thing was a failure because that didn't happen, right? Like ultimately, Tywin's like, I wish I hadn't done this because he told me I'm his servant. Yeah. So this is a good example of how the tourney is often a facade for the maneuvering of power players or for some other agenda. Tywin's is as good as it gets as far as showing us an example like that, if, if not, say, the Black, second Blackfire Rebellion. So here's another quote. This is where Sansa, after she lost some of her naivete, this is a Clash of Kings Sansa 2. King Robert had staged it in her father's honor. High lords and fabled champions had come from all over the realm to compete, and the whole city had turned out to watch. She remembered the splendor of it. 
the field of pavilions along the river, with a knight's shield hung before each door, the long rows of silken pennants waving in the wind, the gleam of sunlight on bright steel and gilded spurs. The days had rung to the sounds of trumpets and pounding hooves, and the nights had been full of feasts and song. Those had been the most magical days of her life, but they seemed a memory from another age now. Yes, we agree. We too have learned that they are much more than glory and splendor. It's rather the point of this episode to dig beneath that. Sansa was disabused of that notion very quickly, and she's speaking for us here. So thanks, Sansa. Sansa. And it's why she says this seemed like a memory from another age now. I mean, it's like it's like a year, <laughs> like a year has passed. <laughs> but it, but she did, that's a that was a long year. It was a lot of growing. She 10% did. of her life. 10%. Yeah, you're right. Like, and especially the first few years of your life, you don't really have memories or control in the first place. So, you know, maybe 20% of her your life. Lear- your life moves quickly when you're learning, yeah, when you're a teenager, when you move <laughs> from one kingdom to another and live in an entirely different place. Yeah, I think you would pick up a few things. Yeah. On a sort of a meta level, meta level, it's sort of an age ago for people who read the book when it first came out, or even the first season of Game of Thrones. That seems like a different time ago. Yeah, yeah right. Like I think about the first time I read Game of Thrones, and I definitely had no idea like what else could happen at tournaments. That was just that's why I tried to liken myself to Sans. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty exciting. There's mm-hmm. banners and clashing horses and shields and lances. It's pretty cool, you know? Heroes. I was closer to Sansa than Ned when it when I read, yeah. like, no, yeah. Ned, don't be a downer. I want to see the tournament, man. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> but now, like, I still want to see the tournament, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking out for different things. <laughs> different reasons, right? So here's a, a sampling of tournaments we'll discuss today. Harrenhal, of course, that was in 281. Ashford Meadow will come up. That's the hedge knight. White Walls, that's the mystery knight. The Hands Tournament, very early in Game of Thrones. The Rainbow Guard Tournament, which was very early, uh, fairly early Clash of Kings. Tournament of Viserys's Ascension, where Kristen Cole beats everyone and wins Rhaenyra's favor. That's going to come up. House of the Dragon Episode 1 Turning, which was really an amalgam of the many tournaments early in Viserys' reign. There was like, there was, took a few pieces of a, a couple of different ones and mashed them together, which is a typical and understandable thing for a TV show to do. Viserys slash Alicent's fifth anniversary tournament, which was portrayed on TV a little differently, but basically accomplished the same thing. It was the Blacks and Greens tournament. So things kind of essentially ended up in the same spot. So that's a really good one for us to discuss. I already mentioned Viserys' birth, meaning Danny's brother Viserys as Tywin's vehicle to get Cersei to marry Rhaegar. We'll talk about that one. And the upcoming tourney of the Winged Knights. We'll avoid spoilers because that's a T-Wow chapter, but I know a lot of you are aware of it, but we'll at least acknowledge it. And what's interesting about that one, while avoiding spoilers, is it shows that there is still at least one more tournament <laughs> going to happen in this in, in A Song of Ice and Fire. If not, maybe after the war is over, maybe they have some sort of celebratory tourney. It would seem a little weird to have more battle after all that. <laughs> like, that's the last thing we need is to do more fighting. But martial society, maybe they'll just have pillows at the end of their lances or something. But anyway, <laughs> it goes to show that even with winter coming, Civil War having raged, people are still having tournaments, yo. <laughs> the Tournament of the Wing Knights coming up. So that'll be the one we finish with. Note as well how often George uses them early on. They're at the, there's one at the start of all the books and shows, not counting the history books, right? The history books start before tournaments even 
existed. So, <laughs> so you can't quite start there with them. But they do have lots of tournaments in them. They're just not like right at the beginning. And the history books came out after all the other material when, yeah. the, you know, the, the tournaments are a really good device for introducing characters, setting the stage for things, you know, we're going to go on and talk about this a lot, but it, it, it makes sense to have them early on. It's similar to like weddings and funerals, yeah. other events that like bring uh, you know, key characters all together at once, but it's a little more difficult to start off with a wedding or a funeral a tournament starts off a little bit of action. You don't necessarily need the buildup of the relationship to have the wedding or funeral mean as much. You need but, less uh, excuse yeah. to hold a tournament. You need more, maybe you need more money or space. But yeah. but you don't, a, a wedding requires, well, two people need to be getting married. You need, yeah. <laughs> in the case of no, but nobility, which is usually what we're talking about here, there's, that's a big deal. But yeah, so a tournament, you just and need also, naming and a new hand. Also, as a, <laughs> as a writing device, so you want to care more about the people getting married or the person that died, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So like it's, you, you need to build up to that, but the tournament can introduce people whether you care about them or not. It can make you care about them. That's the point, yeah, exactly. They're a good warrior, they get screwed or they have a plan or whatever else, yeah. So Duncan Egg starts with one, the Hedge Knight, I mean, it is a tournament. The whole thing is a tournament until the trial by combat, which is an extension of that. The Game of Thrones, Ned's tournament is pretty early on. It's for the fourth episode of the TV show is when that happens, the equivalent. Episode one of House of the Dragon tournament right away, right? So that was almost instantaneous. Uh, season two of Game of Thrones starts with Joff's name day tournament, which is a little weak because of the wars happening. They don't have all the people there, but it is also right away in A Clash of Kings. And then episode three of season two of Game of Thrones is the Rainbow Guard tournament, which is, you know, a few chapters in for Catelyn's arc. I doubt we'll see another one in House of the Dragon during the dance era when they shift eras eventually. Certainly we will, I would think. Though they understandably, like I said, skipped over a bunch during Viserys' reign. There were actually a lot more. Hmm. So we'll see. And Sean, you brought up another thing. Is you brought up how introducing characters is a really important thing and how valuable tournament can be for that. Because it's not just showing you the characters. It shows you a little bit of what they're capable of. As practice for war. They function well to get the reader primed for more severe violence later. We've seen tournaments can be pretty violent. People die. People get severely injured. But Excepting Gregor Clegane, people usually aren't trying to kill their opponent in a tournament. <laughs> so, and it, but it helps you see like who's mad at who. Like you see Gregor and Loras already; they have an issue with each other because of that. More Gregor towards Loras than the other way around. But that establishes that shows grievances, reminds people of existing grievances. That one, Loras and Gregor, was a new one that happened right there. But there were prior grievances established and d- revealed to show red flags about character behavior. People gambling on the tournament. Maybe not a big deal. Gambling on a tournament, no big deal by itself. But it might indicate someone has a gambling problem. It might Someone might have debts. Debts can be exploited, right? Someone comes along and say, we'll pay your debt off if you do this underhanded thing for us, like the mafia coming to collect their favor, you know, like Littlefinger doing kind of things like that, or maybe even Varus. It also shows personality traits like, again, with Gregor. We see that this guy is a murderous rage head they have an impact on whatever community they're in too, right? Whether it's a castle grounds, a city or a village, there can be, you're bringing in a bunch of people that don't have a lot of care for the common folk. And that can result in a lot of murder, rape, looting, bad stuff, destroying the local economy, things like that. So, yeah. You know, again, sort of on a middle level as a writing device, it's, a, it's not as contrived. At a tournament, people get announced. And people yeah. are going to be identifying each other. And, you know, Boy. especially in this it's in this world of Martin, we're going to get like the sigils. You know, it's a good excuse rather than having someone say, 
hello, Jamie, my brother, how are you going to perform? <laughs> you know, like it, it makes more sense in the context of a tournament for people to be getting introduced to each other and pointed out to each other and stuff like that. So it's a, again, it's a really a good writing device for more natural conversation, but to also convey a lot of information to the audience. Yeah. And they're really fitting too, from a world building perspective, obviously they were a part of the real world from about the 12th to 6th century in, in Europe. Other military games that evolved into this. It's not, this isn't the first example of military style games or war games or practice. There's a fine, there, that's another thing that's kind of an overlap between practice and gaming. If you're legitimately wielding weapons and swinging them at each other, they can, you can call it either, but they're both practice. They're both forms of practice in a sense. They just have a little different presentation. Yeah, apparently there's this term, I think I'm saying it right, hastelude, hastelude, yeah. was sort of a general term for competitive combat, you know, yeah. like just testing skills of war. And a tournament was one form of hastelude. I guess sometimes it might just be like soldiers training or it might be, you know, testing one, you know, just jousting or whatever else. But eventually... The idea of people coming together for a tournament evolved out of these hastaludes. Mm-hmm. And and also originally it was mostly melees. Jousting was yeah. something that came like way later into it. And it the melees would involve like large numbers of people. It wasn't just like eight or ten. And it wasn't this free-for-all. They basically got formed into like basically teams. locals and not locals. Oh, yeah, like okay. people from this area and people that came into this area got divided into teams. And the word tournament comes from the, the verb to turn. Because, you know, usually you have this charge and you bust through and then there might be, you know, a mesh of different combat happens. Like you move forward to the next line or get killed or whatever. But in a tournament, <laughs> once you like pass, you turn around and reface oh, it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's where the word tournament came that's from. Cool. Yeah. They, in a tournament, you're going to constantly pass and return. And Remember that show Norseman where they're talking about like how they know how to fight each other. And he's like, <laughs> I, I don't know if they're facing me. Uh, they're the enemy, and I we, I kill them. You know, <laughs> yeah, if we're facing each other. They were riffing like, on how do you tell who? How do you tell? Like they're not dressed they're in just like all Norsemen. Yeah. And so like, I'm picturing in these in this scenario, you're saying I'm like, okay, well the locals have a real leg up because they know each other. They know not to attack each other. But if you don't know your other the other people on your team, how, like, attack anyone you don't recognize. I mean, yeah. That, by the way, that is a legit part of combat. That's why you have. The standards, the yeah. banners, the coats, the, the sigils, all that stuff. That is because it really is a part of combat, even in modern war, a little bit less than modern, modern war. But uh, I mean, it was like a huge number of casualties in Vietnam were just friendly fire. Just, just, it's hard to know. Well, who, who you have a word to shout to, to indicate what side you're on. Yeah, like, but that yeah. that was easily suborned by the enemy. Like if yeah. they learned your word, you know, like <laughs> that had real flaws to it, but it was better than nothing. So yeah, that's where colors and livery and things like that. Like you got to have like teams wearing colors. It's the same logic. Like you got to be able to tell that, tackling the wrong player would be, is a disaster, yeah. right? Like getting <laughs> yeah. at the wrong basket or whatever. Yeah. Man. Like that. Yeah. That was, that was another thing that evolved in tournaments, by the way, like o- over time, it, it got to be more of like an, a social event. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a lot more about the play of it all. Does that make sense? Like sometimes people would like come costumed as certain characters or there would be directions for attendees to all wear like the queen's colors. So everyone's supposed to wear blue oh, or yeah. different things like that. It really it did become elements to the tournament beyond just the people fighting each other really did grow in importance to the course of it. And uh, it was, uh, by the way, the melees, our vision is usually like there's some stands and a little field and they kind of fight. It would spread out over miles for these melees. <laughs> it would last all day. And part of it was 
you would take ransom. You would capture yeah. people and ransom them back. That was part of Just the like in motivation the in to attend. Well, not yeah. similar uh, anyway, yeah. Similar at least, yeah. Um, to, to make, yeah, to make and, a name uh, for yourself and make money, yeah. And, uh, or to go broke. And sometimes <laughs> it would get a little too real. You know, like the idea of having blunted swords or whatever, that didn't come till deep no, into Oh, yeah, they're real that. weapons. Isn't yeah. that wild? Like, and if yeah. <laughs> without referees, people just probably just out there killing each other. Like, yeah, like we yeah. talk about people with grudges against each other. There's no one there to witness it. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just... It didn't seem to happen too often, but it wasn't... It couldn't have been. Like, it never happened. Yeah, it couldn't it have been never, a, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. what somewhere between common and... You know, a surprise, a, a tragedy when it happened, but still kind of common. You know? And eventually, they there was efforts to ban it, right? But it always came, it, for a while it came back, and it was difficult to ban. I think people liked it. Yeah, at one point, the Pope, the King of England, the King of France all tried to ban it at different points. Because for one, what happens is the people who are supposed to be keeping peace in town or whatever, they like leave to go to this yeah, town, man. Like, like, well, hey, you're supposed to be doing guard duty tomorrow. <laughs> and sometimes on the way there, they would like attack people, pillage. It's hard to like man, regulate. No one knows you know, you're going Sean, into foreign lands. And, that's just canceled mm-hmm. culture run amok. We're trying to end turnies. <laughs> like, where will they stop? Are they going to take our gladiatorial games next? Yeah, I read that. I read, awesome. I read that there was one was going to be held in some town in France and, and, and bless the French for pushing back against authority. They're so good at it. They, they went, they were like, no, no tournament. Yeah. It costs too much. It destroys the local area. They revolted. And that was like, that was the last time they ever tried to have one because it was like they had enough. Yeah. And then that goes to show. Yeah. It's like it's fun for the nobility, but a lot of people for the lower end people, for the commoners, for people who don't have that kind of money, a lot of times it's, it's real bad. Not just an annoyance, but like destructive. So. Yeah. Sometimes, especially in the beginning, it could be fun or yeah. exciting. But when it's over and they ate all, they killed all the cows and ate them and took, you yeah. know, the, the the fields of crops that were trampled over by all the tents and horses that came through. And like, man, don't do that again, please. <laughs> if you've ever lived in a city that like hosted the World Cup or the Olympics or the Super Bowl, you know, you've seen it, especially if you've seen the long term afterwards. Like Atlanta had the... Was it the World Cup in 94, 96? What was that? Uh, the, no, it was the, the Olympics. Olympics, Olympics yeah. And that, yeah. it was such a mess afterwards. It was a mess for a long time, decades, like the things, what they had to do with it. And, and the city felt fleeced. Yeah. So anyway, think of you those spent a things. lot of money on infrastructure with taxes from Atlantans. Yeah. That for stuff that just didn't get used after those three months or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then those were sold to rich people afterwards to like turn into <laughs> condos or something. Yeah, it's really the, similar energy at tournaments. Like there, there isn't condos afterwards, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there is the money flows upwards in things like this a lot more than it flows downwards or sideways. <laughs> it flows from one rich person to another. <laughs> Nina says, Hastelude is in the books. Here it is. It was nine years past at Storm's End. Lord Baratheon held a Hastelude to celebrate the birth of a grandson. The lots made Sir Arlen my opponent in the first tilt. Yep, Arlen of Pennytree. <laughs> so that would be Baylor Breakspear speaking, I believe. Anyway, so yeah, so, there, so they have, as we see, there's a lot of reasons to hold a tournament. Marriage, birth, ascension to hand, like in Ned's case, peace deals. But of course, Westeros also has its unique qualities and some things that don't exist elsewhere that we should acknowledge here at the beginning. During the era of Jaehaerys, tournaments were more about the splendor and just keeping the peace because there was less intriguing going on during such a successful, powerful reign. There weren't a lot of efforts to remove him from the throne after the early days. Like early on, there were. But once it was going, different things. So, But when all the Targaryens gather... It's a very interesting thing, and here we go. Quote. The great tourney held at King's Landing in 98 AC 
to celebrate the 50th year of King Jaehaerys' reign, surely gladdened the queen's heart as well. For most of her surviving children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren returned to share in the feasts and celebrations. Not since the doom of Valyria had so many dragons been seen in one place at one time. It was truly said. Yeah, so... There, there were probably was some intrigue at this tournament, but it would have been probably on the lower level. We got 50 years of Jaehaerys ruling. I like, guess no one's thinking about removing him. The, the, the person, of course, is being referred to the she, of course, is Alisanne here. And the reason being, not since the doom of Valyria had so many dragons been seen in one place at one time. It's just a reminder. That's why no one's trying to overthrow the Targaryens except other Targaryens is the dragons, right? Like, you're just not going to go up against that lightly, especially after people in the early days tried that and proved how... It's not a good idea. There could be intrigue there beyond overthrowing the Targaryens. So True. There's probably still people maneuvering to weather kids each other or to like overtake someone's good point. bridge to the river or something like that. and Or even things that maybe take longer to play out. I, I, I was reminded doing research for this episode that I don't know that we hear anything else about this tournament, but Walter Frey, when he's talking to Caitlin, talks about a tournament he went to that John Aaron had at King's Landing. I'm, I'm guessing it was a, a hands tournament too, I guess. And his sons were competing and went to see, but his sons all did crap and he was upset that he went. But he also proposed a marriage and uh, he wanted a, he wanted to ward Robin Aaron. Yeah. Right. And that's when that's, that's and how that we get some of that plot line going. Yeah. Yeah. And he was laughed off and, and like, you know, nothing at that tournament, I don't think came of this, but it led to Wal- to Walter Frey stewing and steaming and felt left over by all these other lords and he was just looking for this opportunity to screw them over i think that probably planted the seed for the red wedding it did it helped set up rob him siding with rob which then helped set up him turning on rob yes because he wants to be recognized amongst those high level lords he's very prickly about that very good call there sean the first (laughs) ever known tournament is, is considered somewhat legendary but it's it's recorded as 50 lords competing for the hand of Maris the Maid, the daughter of Garth Greenhand. Argoth Stoneskin won the melee. It would have been a melee, not a tournament. Not a joust, rather. But Uthor of the Hightower ran off with her. Argoth, whose other nickname, apart from Stoneskin, was the Grey Giant, was mad about it for the rest of his life. Hello, Robert and Rhaegar and Lyanna parallels. Hello, dance slash House of the Dragon parallels. We got a, a high tower running off with the bride. We've got a big guy who beats everyone mad about someone taking his woman away, which is Robert and, and Lyanna and Rhaegar, right? That's all similar stuff. We even have a guy named Uther, U- Uthor, which is almost certainly a riff off of Uther, Uther Pendragon, which translates to chief or head dragon, or chief or head warrior. And, uh, well, he was the lord of the high tower at that time, so there you go. Mm-hmm. We'll mostly go through these tournaments in chronological order. So we'll start with some of the Dance of the Dragons era, or prior to it. The Tournament of Viserys' Ascension at Maidenpool. That's where it happened. Of course, in the show, it happened at King's Landing. In the books, it happened at Maidenpool. Maidenpool's not far away, not a big difference. Here's the quote. Viserys I Targaryen had a generous, amiable nature and was well-loved by his lords and small folk alike. The reign of the young king, as the commons called him upon his ascent, was peaceful and prosperous. His grace's open-handedness was legendary, and the Red Keep became a place of song and splendor. King Viserys and Queen Emma hosted many a feast and tourney and lavished gold, 
offices, and honors on their favorites. At the center of the merriment, cherished and adored by all, was their only surviving child, Princess Rhaenyra, the little girl the court singers dubbed the realm's delight. So the tournaments had a purpose, not that this was like Viserys and Emma plotting this, but it certainly served this purpose to help popularize Rhaenyra, which was very important because at first they didn't plan on her being queen. But when that became the plan, it gave her a big head start on already being a public figure. She was already known and quite popular. The show didn't quite show that level of popularity that she had. But regardless, she had popularity just being the princess, being part of a, a, a popular regime. In the book, so it was even more emphasized that she was very well-loved, very popular, very liked all around. Just, they liked her. Short quote, at table, attorney, and at court, King Viserys thereafter was seldom seen without his daughter by his side. So just a constant, you know, they're constantly together, whether it's at tournaments, court, table, etc. So her visibility, very important, associated with the king, would have helped ease the transition to power had other things not happened in between now and then. So in this time, in the book version, let's parse this a little bit. In the book version is when we have Kristen Cole making his appearance, just like he did in the show, but we'll, we'll talk about that separately. So in the book version, he beats everybody in the melee, including Damon. So there's a melee, he wins. Then he almost wins the joust. He doesn't win the joust. He just beats almost everybody. He beats Eric and Arik. He beats Damon, but he loses to Lord Malister, which they didn't, they didn't have that in the show. They had said the Malister on show got his head chopped in <laughs> by an axe when they're all fighting after like, whoa. And here's, a, here's another yeah. take. Yeah, I really liked that Nina pointed out that attorneys in general, and in this case specifically, are a really great opportunity for like upward movement in society. They provide a lot of opportunities for these up and coming knights like Kristen Cole, who don't have any built-in family fame or court connections. And so with big wins like this, they're able to kind of catapult and vault themselves onto the public eye. So yeah, we see that even if Kristen didn't win every single event at the tourney in the book, he still distinguishes himself and shows himself as talented and that sticks with people. Yeah, enough to win her favor. Like, that's a big deal. Like, he, yeah, like, boom, talk about a boost to his, his chances at life. <laughs> I could bring up Sir Duncan the Tall. Yeah. That guy is similar. <laughs> boom, yeah. start off, right? True. <laughs> very true. true. Very true. And in fact, interesting point about Ashford that we'll come back to is only knights were allowed to compete there. Mm -hmm. So if Dunk hadn't been recognized as a knight, if he hadn't gotten proof of that, they wouldn't have let him compete. That's usually not the case, though. Mm -hmm. Like here, Kristen Cole was a knight. But usually it's just open to anyone who wants to sign up. You can sign up. Just you want to hazard your life, your, your body at yeah. this contest. You got the right equipment. You're allowed to. Two of the other people that Nina brought up, too, as examples of this were Lucamore Strong, oh, who yeah. was a landless aristocrat who won the melee to celebrate the opening of the Dragon Pit and then was named to the Kingsguard a year later. Or... Brian Redwine, who is only a third son, who won the 10th anniversary tourney, named Queen Alisanne the Queen of Love and Beauty, and was then named to the King's Guard shortly afterwards. So it's really a great way to become a member of the King's Guard. Is to yeah, who you choose as a Queen of Love and Beauty is a big deal. Like whether you're trying to make a statement, like he named the Queen. So he's obviously not trying to like hone in on her and try to hook up with her. That's that's an honor. And and like when Kristen Cole in the book version gives gets a favor from seven-year-old Rhaenyra, that's obviously just celebrating the young princess. That's obviously, there's nothing going on there either. 
But sometimes, like Rhaegar <laughs> giving the laurel to Lyanna is like, what the heck is going on here? You know, like usually you celebrate your wife or maybe a, a, the maiden, who, like a, a marriageable age woman that everyone's trying to impress. Then it's kind of obvious. But so there's a lot, it's, there's a lot, of, a lot of interesting things that can be done here. Even if in most tournaments, anyone can compete. Yeah, go anybody that has a suit of armor yeah. and a sword and a horse. And like, it's still a little exclusionary. Yeah, know? I mean, it's just like, yeah, like trying out for a pro sports team. Like you could go to their open yeah. tryouts and you don't need the equipment, but it's the same thing. Like you don't have the yeah. physical capability there. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. Maybe you do. No. <laughs> like even someone with the physical capability, like if Dunk didn't have a horse and a sword, he still couldn't join that tournament, yeah, you know? That's like, true. That's true. So you're right. Oprah mobility is really important because you don't want people to have to prove themselves in war only. Well, we needed to know he was good before the war so we could put him <laughs> in an important position. You know, like that would have been more helpful. Anyway. So yeah, in the show version of that, we have Damon beating Gwaine Hightower. Cole beats two Baratheons and Damon and then beats Damon on foot, sort of bringing in the melee aspect of it. That's how they handled that. And they both still got these favors. Uh, Damon gets Allison's favor, which doesn't happen in the, in the book. But of course, Allison's much older in the book as well. Yes, the Damon wouldn't have gotten her favor. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Zing. She would have been too wise to give him her favor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. No, sorry, Damon Stan. I'm just making a singer. What, wait, wait, what was Allison even doing then? Because Emma was still alive. So Emma in the in book Allison would have been... She's just sitting there looking at Emma. Yeah, she's just I'm chilling waiting. like, I'm just hanging out. <laughs> I'm not married yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm old maid. <laughs> in the show version, the participants are extremely violent. We talked about this a bit at the time, but this is another time to talk about it under a different light. They don't know how bad war is. They're Partly they're so eager for it because none of them have lived through real wars. It's been, there's been so much peace. The realm has been at peace for a long time. And as Rainies and Corleys, the two like smartest people in the room, basically are talking about it. They give us the sword. I mean, in the room, meaning in the box. <laughs> up there, meaning in, the, in the viewing box. Not like everyone there. I don't know about the crowd. There's probably some smart people there too. But they're like the window into like an intelligent discussion of like, this is, we're just having all these people just kill each other. Like what is, this doesn't seem right, you know? But it shows because they're ready to fight. The realm is itching for a fight. There's a lot of people that, that are, want to prove themselves or have un expressed angst or uh, they don't know what they're getting into. Killing a Malister at a tournament is going to start a blood feud like a Bracken killing a Blackwood. You don't have to already have a previous feud to, to start one up if a member of a family kills another in a spot like that. They're going to call for justice or redemption or something. And people seem to have forgotten that. I, th I bet a lot of grudges started or blood feuds started because of episode one. But we weren't shown that because House of the Dragon, in part, is a picture of royals that aren't paying attention to much of what's going outside of their circle. So it's not that those things didn't happen. It's that they were ignorant of them. That's how I see it anyway. And that they were less relevant to the, the massive yeah. Battle of Dragons is coming, yes, right? True. It's, it's a squabble between two houses. It's not set up a story, right, the, right. Yeah. I remember when I first watched it being like, I don't know, almost taken out of it. Like, I just had a hard time swallowing that this would happen. But I've come around quite a bit because, one, I think they were trying to show us that this wasn't managed very well. That yeah. Viserys wasn't making wise decisions and other people in leadership positions weren't. And it's even more believable having researched some real-world tournaments that the rules weren't very well defined and that people often did get killed and so on. So even though I think big troubles would have come from this, 
it doesn't mean it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, so. people get themselves into big trouble all the time by thoughtless yeah. violence. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a, plenty of history of that in the real world. Yeah, and so then it festers. They're not paying attention to the grudges that are building amongst powerful houses around the realm. And that is going to have a big impact on who takes whose side. There's sometimes some people who won't take a certain side because their enemy took that side. Like, well, I've the Brackens are on this side. I'm taking the other side. I want a chance to take out Brackens or Blackwood or whatever. You know what I'm saying? That's their motivation, not the justice of either side's cause. They're like, well, which side is going to allow us to do the worst to our, our, you know, our longstanding enemies? That's, that's they're more of in line with their thinking. Another, I don't know, little element of this is that a lot of times when people are organizing something and haven't really thought it all through, like you can think of a million examples of how someone like identifies a little weakness and exploits it, you know, that the people running this tournament, I, I can even imagine some discussion about like what weapons might be allowed. And all, one assertive person just says like, I should be able to use whatever weapon I want. Okay, fine. Use whatever you want. <laughs> but a morning star is going to kill somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you should not, it should not be allowed in a tournament. And, or if Larry and, and sword. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and people cheat. You know, there's ways to cheat. Like we see like the, the manipulation kind of behind the scenes and one of the dunk tournaments. And, uh, and again, even in real life, remember, remember how I said in like the melees, it would be like hundreds of people and they would like have a charge, cavalry and infantry and turn and fight back. And some people would chase down and smaller little battles would ensue over the course of the day. There's this one guy who would show up with his team and do this first charge and then sit back and just wait for everyone else to get tired and then swoop in to capture people for ransoms after the fact. You know, like, <laughs> it's like, and like no one thought to make a rule about that. It just seemed like everyone would just do the right thing. But obviously everyone isn't just always going to do the right thing. Yeah, totally. Jumping forward to the Blacks and Greens tourney, King's Landing, in the year 111. So this is seven years later. This it would be Viserys and Allison's fifth wedding anniversary in the books. In the show, it would be slightly different, the timing. So starting with the book version, Cole beats... He's still fighting for the Blacks at this point. Cole beats every Green champion sent against him. He just dominates. Totally unbelievable. Like, total... The warrior himself, as they might say in Westeros, including Gwen Hightower again, who, remember, is book version, a younger son of Otto, show version, he's Otto's eldest son. Nina points out how this tournament illustrates how in a highly politically charged atmosphere, even ceremonial and potentially unconscious courtly decisions can carry political weight. She points out that at no point does Fire and Blood say Allison wore green to be provocative or to make a statement? Nor does did Ray, does it said that Rhaenyra wearing Targaryen red and black was meant to be... I mean, a Targaryen wearing red and black Targaryen colors is pretty normal, <laughs> right? Like, that should definitely not... Whoa, Rhaenyra is wearing Targaryen colors. But for some reason, maybe for reasons of National Enquirer or the other, you know, other types of situations like that, where people just want to read into something that wasn't there, History records that as all well. they were taking, they were declaring their allegiance and defining blacks versus greens. That may not have been their intent. It just may have gone that way. Like Allison's like, I like green. And <laughs> but then everyone took it as a lesson or as a as a thing to do from now on. And all of a sudden we've got blacks and greens, you know? And it that may not have been anyone's intent. It's just kind of like, well, everyone just We must raise our sandals above <laughs> our left hand. <laughs> Gather shoes. <laughs> How much for the gourd? Yeah. <laughs> this is his gourd. Yes. It all comes back to Monty Python. It always does. 
But for what it's worth, in the show, Allison never said she was wearing green to make a statement either. You know, no, it was so, Laris was like, "Look at that green war." Yeah, yeah Laris it, it declared did. that it was. Yeah, a Laris, yeah. She, it was very clear it to did. the viewer that it was. Yeah, yeah, it did. The show did seem to imply that she was making a statement, yeah. and, and the way it was presented in the show, it did make more sense for people to realize this is a way for me to. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sides, Obear will, came but... up to her and was like, oh, I doubted you, but now I see you prove. So like two yeah. people, and we had, yeah. you know, she made it clear that it was a statement. Totally, yeah. So you're, you're right. Like that was conscious. What Allison did in that TV show scene was conscious. But the book version, we don't really know whether that's just the, the maesters just adding flair, adding drama to it after the fact. It just kind of worked out that way or... Because it doesn't seem all that likely. They were like, okay, well, I'm going to go in green. It's going to make a big statement. And then from then on, we're all going to wear green. <laughs> it was like, I don't know if they planned that. You know, it doesn't. Also, even if Allison did do it consciously, it was still on everyone else to pick that up. Yeah. You know, she didn't send out some directive for if you're on my side, you better wear green. She never said that. People just did it. They do. Know? They want to do be like the queen. They want to be like their leader. You know, like it's, it's like fashion statements made by their leader are often followed. A trickle down effect of the fashion choices. It's not easy being green, though. <laughs> it's not easy being green. <laughs> Maybe it is if if you look like Emily Carey, though. <laughs> or Kermit the Frog. Or Kermit the Frog, yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's, so moving on. In the show, what happened was Cole's switch from black to green sort of played out in the moment as he's stewing over Rainier's offer and feeling rejected. He sort of switches during that first event. In the books, it's a little slower, that change. By the tournament three years later, which is Rainier and Lanor's wedding in the book, so that lines up again, Cole has switched to the greens at that point. And here's a quote to take us into that. In 114 AC... Princess Rhaenyra and the newly knighted Ser Lenor were wed, and, as is the custom, a tourney was held in celebration. At this tourney, Rhaenyra had a new champion in Breakbones, while Ser Kristen, for the first time, wore the favor of Queen Alicent. So I noticed a phrase there, as was the custom. So yeah, so I guess, like, which custom are they referring to? The When the princess or the, the heir to the throne takes a gets married? I'm not sure. I mean, they celebrate so many weddings with tournaments, so I'm not exactly sure which custom they're referring to, but still, a tourney is the custom, is what they're saying here. And I can't exactly pinpoint it, but it's still very telling. So Cole, again, dominates. This is when he breaks Harwin's bones and mortally wounds Joffrey. So Kristen Cole's nickname, nickname should be Break Bones Bone breaker. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> break bones or Yeah, exactly. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> B, 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 B. <laughs> so many Bs. Yes. <laughs> Nina writes, Kristen's actions speak to how the violence inherent attorneys can be useful for covering up politically, dynastically, or personally motivated woundings. The, the text says he fought in a black fury <laughs> trying to kill people on Team Black, basically, and, and succeeding. He didn't kill Harwin. He may have wanted to, but he did kill Joffrey. And yeah, like no one could call him out. This was, we, we discussed how Kristen got away with what he did on the show. It was not quite so simple. But here, it's easy to understand because it happened in a tournament where people get hurt all the time. It's hard to say that, oh, he tried too hard. Like what? I mean, what law did he break? What rule did he break? Blood feud could happen against House Cole, but House Cole is, is nothing, right? They're, they're not a... And blood feuds against Kristen Cole mean fighting him, which is not a... You yeah. don't really want to do that either. I mean, some people are willing to, but it's not a, not a simple thing to endeavor. 
so a lot happens there too. Like that, that's, that's obviously a big deal. There's a, the, the politics is playing out. Like so much of what we saw set up the war that happens in a dance of the dragons is stuff like this. And it happens when they all come together. And one thing we kept seeing repeatedly on house of the dragon is like, every time the two families come together, bad stuff happens. And afterwards they're like, we need to separate again. <laughs> I need to go back to Dragonstone or we need to keep these kids apart. It just, just, it just keeps not working. And but it was already happening with these people. These non-family members were already fighting each other like over Rhaenyra or over homophobia or whatever was motivating them. Something I meant to say when we did that episode about Viserys is that that's one thing that he should have done when these conflicts happen. Instead of get everyone in the same room together when they're all at odds and tensions are high, get them in separate rooms. <laughs> <laughs> talk to them individually. The get the story. Go ahead, get a, yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. By the way, it mentions that Sir, Sir Lanor, newly knighted. Yeah, because he, he wasn't a warrior. Book version of Lanor isn't a warrior. And so they were like, well, we don't want him. We don't want the princess to marry someone who isn't a knight. So we'll just give him a knighting real quick. He did nothing to earn it. But to clarify a little bit, the show versus book version there, the, rather than one event, there's two versions, 111 and 114, two different tournaments where these things played out. And of course, as you may recall, the show version, there was planned to be seven days of feasting and tournaments that was interrupted by the killing of Joffrey and all that was canceled. And that had a pretty big impact as well. It really changed the trajectory of the Targaryen-Valarian alliance. Like it was going to be a very lockdown, like Viserys envisioned the second age of dragons. He had all these big plans for what this alliance would mean. And then it kind of just like, yeah, I guess we're, I guess we're allies now. <laughs> we're married together. And it just didn't, it didn't really proceed like, they didn't really proceed as friends from there. Like, they weren't enemies, but they weren't, like, hanging out a lot and ba- having each other's backs. And it was like, ugh, we're narrow. Now we have in-laws we're not very happy with. So that eventually did come around, but it started off real bumpy. And it was because of these extracurricular things happening at what wasn't exactly a tournament book version was, but it was a tournament environment where people were brought together and a tournament was expected to happen. Let's go to Ashford Meadow in the year 209. Jumping forward quite a bit. Now, remember, Lord Ashford had a purpose here. He wanted to find a husband for his daughter. He wanted to get the highest rank person he could for his daughter. And he also wanted to get in good with the royals, which may have implied that's who he wanted to find a husband for his daughter from. If not then, but maybe a future marriage down the line for his family. Because in the Reach in this era, there wasn't a lot separating a lot of these houses. There's just a lot of pretty powerful mid-range houses. And the times had changed. The Black Fire Rebellion had happened. The dragons weren't around anymore. Daron II was a different sort of king. He was trying to do things less Targaryen-y, right? He, was, uh, he didn't like the incest marriages. He, he was a follower of the Seven pretty devoutly. Took a lot of lessons from Baylor the Blessed. But he was getting up there in age. So amidst all these changes, there was opportunities for the ambitious lord, which Lord Ashford seemed to be. He's thinking, all right, when... Daron dies. There's going to be a new king. A new king means fresh alliances, fresh offices, fresh counselors, all this other stuff. He wants to be a part of that. Lord Ashford did. He wants his family to be a part of this new wave of this new period, this new era. Whenever the new king takes over, he wants to be a part of that new swing of power. You basically get to have the king slash prince as a captive audience. You're hosting the tournament. You get to talk to them. You get to bring your business to their attention. It's not so simple to do that. If you're someone like Tywin, you've got the king's ear because you're his hand, right? But like, how often did did Ned talk to Robert? Like hardly ever. If he had wanted to talk to him, he could have made a, you know, gotten to him. But if he sends a letter to him, 
Like it's going to go through Picel's hands and then maybe Cersei sees it. it. It's a pretty big deal. We take these things for granted in our era because we have phones and stuff. But like, it's hard for nobles to talk to each other without attracting attention, <laughs> especially hard to talk to the king who's being pulled in a lot of directions at once. So spend a lot of money, invite the, the princes, get a chance to talk to them, you know, try to get in good with them, befriend them. It's, it's an in route. Even Ned talking to Robert, like they're friends, right? Yeah. Like imagine how many letters the king gets. Robert might say, all right, let me read Ned's. But most other lords, he just doesn't care. He just doesn't want to hear it. He'll yeah. just send it off to someone else, you know? You're totally right. Yeah, so that's one thing that maybe we need to keep in mind that you may have a tournament just to speak to one or two specific people. The whole thing might just be about getting one or two particular visitors and getting to talk to them. He probably didn't expect Daron to come. Like we said, Daron was up there in age. He'd given him a lot of the rule over to Baylor, but he did expect Baylor to come and Baylor did come. Of course, it all backfired horribly because Baylor died, <laughs> but <laughs> didn't go the way he wanted at all. But that you can see that is what he wanted. Nina's the one who reminded us that Lord Ashford was trying to impress Baylor by being strict about the entrance thing, which probably Baylor didn't care about that. Baylor was more... Uh, Baylor's not all highfalutin, so I don't think he... I don't think that meant anything to him positive. It may have even been a negative. Maybe he just didn't care. But it wasn't a plus. <laughs> so trying to make it more fancy was not something... was not a good way to impress Baylor, but he was trying to impress Baylor. That was still... That was his intent. That was his ambition. And it's all trying to get... embroil himself with the royal family or, or make those connections. Nina writes, it may have seemed like a good means of reinforcing royal authority in the Reach, from Baron's point of view. It seems likely that Damon Blackfire may have drawn some or much of his support from the Reach. The Reach was a place where Damon had his, the core of his support. So paying attention to this realm, paying attention to the Reach and keeping, you know, being friendly with it, making sure this doesn't happen again, probably good policy. Saying, yeah, keep these guys married. And so even, which might be what Lord Ashford's thinking is like, Playing 3D chess, right? Like, hey, they need to play nice with the Reach, which might mean they want to marry some Reach houses. Why not mine? Right? And they've only got so many princes and princesses. There's only so many possibilities here. So get ahead of the game, get involved. Once again, obviously backfired horribly, but <laughs> wasn't the worst plan, you know, from his perspective. It's, it's an interesting thought, like how you said that uh, you might hold a tournament just to be able to get in touch with one or two people, especially the king or some important person, it might be otherwise very difficult. And kind of how Nina's also pointing out that the king maybe wanted to have a presence at this tournament. It goes both ways. Like they get to go have contact with other people at the tournament. And not just the person running the tournament and a person they're trying to get in contact with, but other separate people mm. get to have interactions they wouldn't normally have. It's, it becomes more and more justifiable for people to come and visit and have these meetings and make these I, I mean, I can even imagine like, you know, smaller lords and houses and whatnot still want to arrange marriages and still, you know, maybe have debts owed and uh, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. You know? Or like Kyle the cat was looking to find a new lord to swear his sword to. Like that's another plan that backfired horribly. His plan was terrible. But, <laughs> you know, Dunk was there to make a name for himself and he ended up meeting Egg. You know, that's very yeah. likely event, but Dunk meeting, what's his name? The, the Glendon Ball. Glendon Ball, you met him. Like that's more, that How kind of meeting. his name? I know, right? Glendon, <laughs> Glendon Flowers Dash Ball. He, it's like the third time I've forgotten his name. I have a mental block against Glendon Ball's name. Glendon Flowers. So he, <laughs> like, but that kind of meeting where two hedge knights become friends. 
that kind of thing would a lot more likely to happen at something like a tournament like like Ashford Meadow or or even White Walls, where you just wandering around, you're not likely to find a whole bunch of like-minded people all at once. Like hedge knights are all out in the world. They got to go find work here and there. They can't be congregating at places where there isn't work, but that's why they're there. They're there to maybe find work or, or elevate their status. The reason it's a good writing device, because it's in addition to like introducing characters without contrived dialogue and setting up, setting a stage for stuff, but it also can like get pairings, you know, it can, it can launch new stories. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about white walls, which happened three years later. This is when the intrigue component of a tournament is turned up to 11. Uh, as we know, this was commonly referred to as the second Blackfire Rebellion. Really, it was just a tournament, though. It's not a good look when your rebellion <laughs> is really more in the category of tournament. <laughs> it was the second Blackfire <laughs> Rebellion tournaments. Yeah. It really introduced to us to a lot of different things about tournaments that we had maybe thought about a lot. The, the cheating and gambling aspect of it that Sir Uthor Underleaf, the underside for Underleaf, yes, introduced us to the, the f- losing on purpose, things like that, which it totally makes sense that that's going to happen. Like, oh yeah, of course that happens, you know? But if you hadn't thought about it, you may not have, if your brain didn't go there, it may not have occurred to you. And this is something that I find really interesting. One thing, and this may have already occurred to some of you all as we're talking about why people gather and finding like-minded individuals and making friends. It's like, yeah, tournaments are kind of like conventions. <laughs> they really are. You, you gather people together. They're all like-minded in a lot of ways. They come together to, to meet people or to do business. You make unexpected connections. Some people have other agendas while they're there. Some conventions have mock tournaments, fighting like with foam noodles and, you know, like sets, setting up athletic events or competitions or... Or, you know, like the SCA, if you don't know, the Society of Creative Anachronisms, they have like tournaments. Yeah. And it's, it's a whole thing. And it's more, it, like, ostensibly, they're sort of like recreating these old tournaments from the old day. But really, the tournaments from the old days are more similar to these modern things than you might think. That there <laughs> is this sort of role-playing element involved in them and they weren't really trying to kill each other and you are getting together for social reasons, not just to practice combat and the costumes are all part of it and on and on. So. Yeah, and the costumes is where I really want to get into that too because yeah, not just a convention, but a convention where cosplay is prominent because, for example, at White Walls, you have Damon the Second Blackfire cosplaying as John the Fiddler <laughs> and a couple other people <laughs> yeah. who is who are not what they say they are, right? And a bunch of people cosplaying as loyalists when they're really Blackfires, etc. But no. Blood Raven's got his Blood own Raven cosplaying as Sir Maynard Plum. You're totally right. Yeah, right? So there's all these examples of people doing that. Or depending on who you think Glendon's father is, is he cosplaying as a ball or is he really, is he really a ball? Yeah, anyway. Uh, his name is Glendon Ball. <laughs> he will have justice. <laughs> so it uh, shows this a lot of these elements there of all at once. At a, at a tournament that's not really a tournament that the people on the outside know <laughs> what's really going on there. And what I discovered, this is something we've talked about tournaments off and on a few different times, but what I didn't realize is over time, like you said, Sean, jousting wasn't how they started. They started as more of a melee, right? And then it became, jousting became the more popular aspect of it. As tournaments became more fancy, more money became pumped into them. They became more and more about the nobility. They became more and more about the nobility, (laughs) which is, which is, you know, they kind of took it over. They became like a big party where they literally did cosplay. They would celebrate legendary eras or figures. People would dress up like historical figures at these tournaments. Edward III of England had lots of tournaments, more than one of which in which people dressed up like Knights of the Round Table. So you got knights showing up as Lancelot and King Arthur and Galahad. 
And you might think, well, that's that's funny that they did that. That, that wasn't even that long ago. No, actually, I, I say Edward III, that's like 1300s. So King Arthur was 700, 700, 800 years old by that time. So it was already an old thing, already a legend, already well, way relegated to legend by that point, not to past history. Nina writes, and one Edward was very fond of, he named his second surviving son, Lionel, after Sir Lionel, cousin of Lancelot, a role he himself had played in tournament. And he created the still extant Order of the Garter, inspired by the round table. Yeah, the Order of the Garter still exists as a social thing in England, I guess. I don't know much about it, but yeah. So yeah, totally cosplay conventions. It's so, so funny. Think about it. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Like mythology and storytelling were big parts of these things. And I've forgotten that the, the characters involved, but there was even one tournament where someone had like constructed like a wooden tower. It was rolled out that they could come out of and to do like a tower challenge of something. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tower defense <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. So Nina also writes, as well as allegorical themes like Henry VIII jousting as, quote, Sir Loyalheart, <laughs> supposedly sent by the <laughs> Queen Noble Renown from the fictional kingdom of Noble Heart <laughs> during the 1511 tournament to celebrate the birth of Henry, Duke of Cornwall, who this had a bit of a Viserys vibe where Henry, Duke of Cornwall, the son didn't see his... I forget how, when he died. He didn't die as an infant, I don't think, but he didn't live very long. So then there's the first... The first ever round table tournament was held by John de Ibelin of Cyprus. You know, Cyprus is that island in the Eastern Mediterranean. This is a... There's a little bit of a funny connection here. He was the son of Balian of Ibelin, a.k.a. Legolas. <laughs> yes, Orlando Bloom played Balian of Ibelin in... Kingdom of Heaven, a movie a lot of y'all have seen. Balian was also known historically as Barrison the Younger. Well, not quite Barristan, Barrison. Hmm. John de Ibelin, son of Balian, a.k.a. Legolas, took Templar vows when he was in ill health, knowing he was going to die. So he wanted to enter heaven as a Templar. Eighty years later, the last Templar Grand Master was burned at the stake by King Philip the Fair, and then there were no more Templars. King Philip the Fair was also known as the Iron King. King Philip the Fair was cursed, supposedly, by this Templar Grandmaster as he was being burned at the stake, giving us the Accursed Kings novels, which George R. R. Martin and myself and Nina have recommended many, many times, written by Maurice Druon, because it kind of did seem like they were cursed <laughs> the way it went. It may have been just something they... Because it may have been, it's probably more retrospecting. We're like, hmm, that, those descendants were cursed. Let's insert a curse into the mouth of this Templar Grandmaster. <laughs> anyway, it's great, though. That's a really great story. And any excuse to bring that one back around. And there was a very politically charged tournament in the sixth book of that novel called The Lily and the Lion. And it gives another example of, of politics and tournaments coming together. Of course, we talked about tournaments a lot in our Dunkin' Egg coverage as well. So I'll, I'll re-recommend that. Well, one last little interjection here when we're talking about some real-life tournament stuff. It wasn't all fun and games. There was one tournament in Germany where 80 people died from heat exhaustion. What? Good they're Lord. all stuffed in this hot armor and it was a hot day and they're running around doing combat and they're probably a bunch of idiots. <laughs> just 80 people died. Yeah. Yeah. So y'all, when people die in tournaments in the TV shows, I don't think they have shown anything in a tournament that rises to the level of violence in real world tournaments. Let's put it that way. Like uh, we haven't had 80 people die in a tournament on Game of Thrones TV. <laughs> we have heard of the uh, of 80 people dying in a melee in the north. So uh, that level does exist, but that's cuz George understands 
that you can't have that many people wailing on each other and not have people die. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Especially if they're using real weapons. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. All right, let's take a short break. A word from our sponsor, NordVPN. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash thrones. That's Nord, N-O-R-D. VPN, one word, NordVPN. To get a huge discount off of a NordVPN plan and four additional months for free, you get 30 days money-back guarantee, so there is no risk in that. We've talked about a lot of the different benefits, how you can save money off of it. I've been doing some some additional research, and there's just so many little things that could really add up. I, I find it hard to believe that most of us wouldn't save a little money by using a VPN service. Using NordVPN will very likely save you money on things like flights, cost for signing up, maybe save you some speed. You might be getting throttled by your ISP and not even know it. Lots of little things like that can really add up. Not just one big benefit, but lots of small benefits adding together to create one large benefit. That is my recommendation. The more I read about it, the more the benefits seem to be adding up. Uh, there's, it's like every time I look at it, I discover some, something I didn't know that it was like, oh, some people use it for this and that. I'll have to come back with a more thorough list next time. But it's a, it's a growing I think, list. I think it would let you watch Better Call Saul Season 6 on Netflix. Ah, for example. For example. Aha, it's not available on, <laughs> on Netflix right now? It is in Europe. Oh, but not in the US. interesting. Okay, perfect so, example. If they don't know that you're in the US because you're a VPN, then... Perfect example. Very perfect example. Yes, I know that Weird Al was was tweeting about how he can watch his movie in places he can't watch. And he was using... He was like, ah, you could use a VPN. I don't know what that stands for. He's just joking around like all the ways you <laughs> can do that. So it's like, I've received a torrent of replies about how to... <laughs> of questions about it. So Weird Al is not endorsing NordVPN, but he is endorsing VPN in general. And I am endorsing NordVPN. So again, once again, nordvpn.com slash thrones. Get that discount, save some money, get on it. Our other sponsor for today is Smile Brilliant. Stop the expensive guess and test method when it comes to teeth whitening and oral care. They sent me a package... I have, it came this weekend, so I haven't gotten my dental impressions yet, but they send you the tooth impression kit where you get a very precise measurement of your teeth, and then they send you the whitening kit that will measure very precisely, not just some one-size-fits-all thing. It is for your specific mouth, and that is an important thing because so many whitening products miss spots. And the really the only good way to get everything is to have a custom fit. That's uh, apparently what dentists will tell you. LED lights are a novelty item. They're not really that helpful. They can actually increase tooth sensitivity. That's not what you're looking for. You want whiter teeth, not more sensitive teeth, right? If you feel like you have to have more sensitive teeth to get whiter teeth, well, apparently that is not the case. Strips neglect gum lines. Charcoal is abrasive. Whitening toothpaste is only moderately effective. It doesn't really get below the tooth line. It's only surface stains. So the number one product recommended by dentists is the custom fitted tray. It used to be really expensive, three to one, $300 to $1,000, but that is no longer the case. Prices have dropped dramatically. 10 years ago, Smile Brilliant started doing this. Their innovative lab direct process has cut down on that cost significantly. It still kind of depends on specifics for you. But if you sign up through our link, you will save at least 20% if you use the code Westeros or Westeros5. If they already have a site-wide sale, it'll add to that sale. So either Westeros or Westeros5 to save extra money on your Smile Brilliant purchase. Check it out. Get whiter teeth. All right. Back to it. 
There are so many small examples of things that happened at tournaments that we could throw out there as examples that don't require us to discuss the entire tournament. But it still shows how many, once again, I prefer the term extracurricular activities because extracurricular <laughs> is such a wide umbrella. It describes so many things, whether it's murder, whether it's underhanded, or whether it's a case like this, where Aemon the Dragon Knight entered the tournament as a mystery knight to declare his sister the queen of love and beauty because he knew his brother, Aegon the Unworthy, was going to name one of his mistresses the queen of love and beauty to embarrass their sister. So he entered just to protect her honor. Good man, that Aemon the Dragon Knight. That didn't do anything to curb the rumors that Aemon and Nerys were sleeping together, which Aegon was happy to foist on the realm and push the idea that Daron wasn't really his son. But that also is another story and goes well outside the auspices of tournaments. But it spills over into the tournaments too, as we see. <laughs> they take their drama everywhere, even in the fun times. I like thinking about the idea of Queen of Love and Beauty. Did you read anything about this? Not that particular title, although that particular title is also apparently been used historically in a few spots, where women became a greater part of tournaments as time, as the chivalry and pageantry elements of tournaments increased over time became a part of real-world tournaments as well, as naming like a maid of honor or they had different terms for it. But did you read anything about this, Sean? I did, and there, understandably, there's not quite as much knowledge on this because history tends to be a little more male-centric, especially when it comes to like combat games, you yeah. know. But it, the idea that the tournaments were growing beyond just these guys practicing with their weapons, that it was a sort of court being held and it was this opportunity for socialization and even... The same type of thing we see in Game of Thrones, that there's what someone wears, you know, like signals are being sent and uh, uh, deals are being made, you know, uh, friendships are being formed. This happens among the women as much as the men and yeah. maybe even is more of an opportunity for the women than relatively than the men, because even otherwise, the men still do have opportunities that women don't get. Does that yeah. make sense when it comes to traveling and interacting and making a name for themselves on a battlefield and stuff like that? It, it, this became maybe, you know, as important to women as men as a social event. That's know? interesting. Yeah, and, and and now that you mentioned it, thinking about House of the Dragon, it was very much framed more so than anyone through the eyes of Rhaenyra and Alicent. And then occasionally we we went over to Corlys and Rhaenys and Viserys gets whispered to or we see the combatants up close, but really the combatants are just focused on each other. They're not having any dialogue. The people talking about it more so than anyone was Alicent and Rhaenyra. So it was kind of through their eyes. And, and frankly, at the... Episode four in season one of Game of Thrones, a lot of it's through Sansa's point of view. I mean, certainly Ned sitting there and Littlefinger trying to talk to her and Ned's like, take your hand off my daughter. You know, all this other stuff, gambling and talking about that. But yeah, anyway, we're coming to that tournament later. So we'll talk about it when we get to it. But yeah, the Queen of Love and Beauty is very interesting. It's also, it also really puts a face on an important event, especially if it's like a peace deal or an alliance where, they're, where both sides have a lot invested in this working out. Getting the public to buy in on it is a pretty big part of that. Like, they're like, yay, we're happy about this alliance. And we all know that putting a pretty face on something can help with that. That's a reason why newscasters and people like spokespeople are often more attractive than the average person. This is very much like that. They want to put their hopes on a person. You want to attach some beauty and charisma to an idea that you have a lot of hope in. You know, it, it helps, I think, to attaching. It's like attaching a symbol to, an event like Santa Claus to Halloween or to Halloween. 
I'm thinking of dressing up. Like Santa Claus to Christmas, for example. Like that puts a, a friendly face on it, right? Like even not everybody believes in Christmas or Santa, but that is kind of the point of Santa Claus is to, besides to sell toys, it's also there to... <laughs> I'm just listening to an NPR bit about how insurance is kind of like a boring, even kind of dark topic business or whatever. And so they're one of the most but think of think of all the different uh, characters attached to yeah, you know, the gecko, the and, gecko the, and the the mayhem guy and that flow, insurance yeah. is like made a big effort to attach quote unquote a friendly face or a humorous element to this business that they're trying to market you know yeah i maybe uh, maybe uh, boeing and uh, raytheon should start putting making pink missiles <laughs> and you know like putting <laughs> rainbow flags on their <laughs> So let's talk about Viserys' birth. Let's jump forward to A Song of Ice and Fire time period. Tywin aimed to marry Cersei to Rhaegar. We established that. That's well known. But remember, folks, this was also the Maggie the Frog incident happened here. And Cersei went to see Maggie because her Aunt Jenna spilled the beans and told her, you're going to be marrying Rhaegar. Get ready. Get ready, young youngster. Shouldn't have told her that one because <laughs> it didn't happen. And she had to be disappointed. But she, because she got so excited, she went to Maggie and was like, all right, tell me how many kids I'm going to have with the king. And that led to all this awful stuff. And then she murders her own friend, which can't blame anyone but her for that one. <laughs> Even though she's just a kid. It's like, damn, Cersei, killing people when you're 10. Yikes. Now, Tywin is very open about this. He, he doesn't use wealth on the down low and say it's being sneaky. He's like, no, we put our wealth in people's faces and show off as much as possible because it shows how wealthy we are and reminds them how powerful we are. He, he flat out says this multiple times. It's not subtle from him, and he doesn't want it to be subtle. The point is to shove it in people's faces. So that's, <laughs> that's not very subtle. So this is likely what happened here. We, we talked about this a while back. Nina suggested that it sure is interesting that Rhaegar, all of these knights that were in Tywin's service and Tywin's uncles, or uh, brothers rather, all of them lost to Rhaegar. Now, Rhaegar was good at jousting. But did they lose? Did they really try their hardest? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, hmm, I don't know about this. Rhaegar did eventually lose to Arthur Dane because no one's going to tell him to lose on purpose. And I don't know that he would. It might have tipped, it might have tipped, tipped the hat, tipped the, I can't, given away the fact that things were being thrown to him. Yeah. If Arthur Dane lost him, like, that, <laughs> the others are believable. But if you throw in an unbelievable one, then you start to question the others. Yeah. Too, so. and, and of course, it's unlikely Tywin could have gotten Arthur to lose on purpose anyway. But, yeah. Maybe, I don't know, you know. So he was just all in on this. It's like I said, the whole point of this tournament was to was to win this over. And well, here's the funny thing though. The turn just to prove how much this wasn't about what it says it's about, the tournament to celebrate Viserys' birth in 276 AC. You know who didn't go? Viserys, <laughs> the baby who was just born. He was not there, nor was his mother. <laughs> and Ares didn't want to go at first. Ares was, had to be convinced to go. Like, they're holding this, this, this event for their family, and, like, none of them wanted to go. <laughs> so he goes, and, you know, it goes a certain way, and a lot of people probably figured this out. Like, Tywin didn't say the point of the tournament was to marry Cersei to Rhaegar, but anyone in his inner circle would have known that. A lot of other people from afar would have been like, okay, we see, we see what's happening here. He's got a 10-year-old daughter. Rhaegar's unmarried. We see this. We know what's going on. It's pretty straightforward. Anyone who bothered to think about it at the time could probably have sussed that out. Which means that a lot of people would be showing up with other plans in mind. They know, they know this is some, an event that is even more than a lot of other tournaments not about what it says it's about. Especially when the, the, the object of celebration isn't even in attendance. <laughs> 
they were very happy, surely, that Tywin was spending all this money on this big event. But a lot of people probably showed up with other plans in mind, like, all right, we're going to meet with these guys, meet with these guys. Keep in mind, this was an era of conspiracy. We had already had the defiance of Duskendale. This is part of why Tywin was, uh, part of why Viserys wasn't excited about going, right? And Ares was getting progressively worse and worse. He wasn't to his, oh my God, this guy is a mess that he was at Hall, where just looking at him was frightful because his hair was uncut, his nails were freakishly long, and clearly something wasn't right. It made, it made him look worse. This stage, he didn't quite look so gnarly yet, but he was getting there. And the, the rumors were starting. He had burned a few people. He had lost a lot of children. So his insanity was growing every day. So people were concerned. It's five years later when they start planning maybe to overthrow him, having the great council at Hall. But you got to think the talk and certainly the sentiment, people were thinking it if they weren't saying it, had already begun at this point. So I'm sure if we learn more about this event one day, I'm sure that's going to be a part of it, that we're going to hear what people were saying about Ares, as well as what they're saying about Tywin and, and the other big wigs. But Ares is the one that I think would would generate the most like nervous discussion or like, what's the king going to do next? Or... Like, maybe it's better if you just let him alone and don't invite him to places, you know, things like that. <laughs> so do you have much impression of this event, of this event, Sean? It's kind of, it's a little bit of a deep cut, but I know we've talked about no, it. No, I, I, in fact, I, there was even something I think Nina put in a document about how court had been moved to Castle Rock at one point yeah. in the past. Mm-hmm. What, what's the story with that? Is that too much of a tangent? No, it's or? not too much of a tangent. Basically, a while ago when there was a, it had been before this when they were on better terms, when Tywin and Ares still got along really well. Ares, T- Tywin went back to Casterly Rock to take up the lordship. He was still hand, but he had to go settle stuff because his father had died. He was hand before his father died. And so when okay. his father, okay. so when Titus died, he had to go back to take up the lordship, set a few things in, in line, and then go back to King's Landing. But Ares is like, hey, let's just move court to Cashley Rock for a while. You can take your work home with you. <laughs> it's like, I'm going home to do work. You know, it's like, yeah, but you can do both there. And I'm like, all right, I'll do, yeah. <laughs> as much as I don't like Taiwan, that dude had a lot of work to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> he had a lot of like keeping up with Aries and running the West. Yeah, that, that, that wasn't easy. Let's put, you know, we'll give him, we'll give him a little bit of credit for that. So they had familiarity with that. The court, like people had familiarity with the, with this scenario of Ares going west, of things being ruled from the west a little bit. So that probably set people to talking too. It's like, again, court moving west. It's like, is this going to be... Especially with the idea of Cersei marrying Rhaegar, I bet you most people thought he would say yes. Or at least a lot of people expected he would say yes. A lot of people probably yeah. did not see the rejection coming, at least of all Tywin <laughs> and Cersei, right? <laughs> or, or Jenna, like Jenna Lannister thought it was going to happen too. She basically told Cersei, get ready. You're going to be the princess, you know? They all thought it was going to work. So probably a lot of people made plans based on Cersei becoming princess that those plans were dashed as well. It wasn't just Tywin's plans. It was all, it's like, okay, let me use a modern example. When a Walmart opens in a, in a remote rural area, a bunch of businesses open around them. It's like a whole mall opens around them, like a bunch of satellite businesses open. It's si- food restaurants yeah. and gas stations, and, and you got to build a parking lot. There's going to be construction work, and there's... Yeah. I, I, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's kind of boring, but a lot of logistical stuff comes along. I can imagine this second time of Aries coming over to the West, 
and they're expecting a wedding to be arranged, I can imagine someone's like, all right, we really need to get that bridge repaired. Yeah, yeah, and, let's make it look know, nicer. If there's yeah. going to be a wedding, they're going to need, all right, let's get set aside some extra pigs for the feast. And, you know, I imagine right. a lot of business and workings that might not be as exciting enough for the intrigue of a book, but still would be part of the lives of the people involved. Now imagine that Walmart closes down. What happens to the satellite business? A lot of them go die out as well. So the same thing happened. Like the people made their plans based on expecting Tywin to have a greater place at the table, even more so than they already had, and expect the Lannisters to be part of the royal family going forward. That's a huge change. But then that didn't happen. Well, it did. Just until Ares was dead. Yeah. (laughs) You need a whole other term. That's right. A lot of room there. Quite a lot of room there. The Taiwan held another tournament in the year 295. So that's 20 years later, roughly. And probably others in between. Because again, showing off his wealth. He wanted to, this is a thing he values. But after the rebellion, it's notable that, that he's holding tournaments after the rebellion, after he is now part of the royal family. Because he didn't get in with the Targaryens, but he was on the winning side of Robert's rebellion and Cersei married Robert. So he did become part of the royal family, which is a little ironic. He was hand for Ares. But not for Robert, because <laughs> John Aaron was. And, <laughs> and then he became hand after Robert died for, for Joffrey, basically. So <laughs> he, he wasn't able to marry his daughter to the king when he was hand. <laughs> but when he wasn't. He was able when he, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I have anything else to say about that tournament, as cool as it is. But isn't that neat? We just talked about a whole bunch of stuff, and almost none of it had to do with the tournament. But the tournament, like, yeah. kicked so much of it off. The tournament was like the, the, the tip of the spear. The event that set it all up, the event that fell apart, so the rest of it fell apart. Yeah. I like this comment from Guilty Undertaker in the chat who says, Aries II wasn't so bad. He was willing to let his hand work from home. <laughs> you know, what employers is really willing to do? He's willing to work from home as long as his boss was there. So you can work from home, but I'm going to come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you imagine your boss is like okay you can work from home but only if I'm imagine, there too I, I can't imagine living with my boss <laughs> that's why Sean moved out yeah. <laughs> it was it's like I'm going to another state y'all <laughs> imagine if we had come with yeah <laughs> it's like okay you can move to Denver we're moving with you <laughs> like, yeah, all right. we can make it work so happen, yeah. <laughs> all right let's go to Heron Hall only five years forward this time we'll start off with a quote even if all the conspiracies of this and and si- things that were happening side quests and extracurricular activities that happening at Heron Hall so much of it happened that it's a legend it has legendary status for how much of this sort of stuff happened, even though half of it isn't documented. Many tales have grown up around Lord Went's tournament. Tales of plots and conspiracies, betrayals and rebellions, infidelities and assignations, secrets and mysteries, almost all of it conjecture. The truth is known only to a few, some of whom have long passed beyond this mortal veil and must forever hold their tongues. Now, that, that there's still a chance that, you know, maybe Bran or some other supernatural means gives us more insight into what happened here. And, and maybe while there's plenty of other things Bran could be looking at, we should point out that Bran is the biggest source on the Tournament of Harrenhal. Well, technically, Jojen and Mira, who tell him the story of this, the tournament in Harrenhal, that his father never told him. And that was interesting to them that, that Ned had never told them this. Or they're like, your father hasn't told you any of this? And they're like, he's like, no. And we're like, oh, well, that itself is interesting, but also a separate topic from this. The tournament Hall is, of all these tournaments we've discussed, 
pretty much the only one we don't see firsthand. Well, I guess the tournament, uh, this last one we didn't see firsthand. We see it through some people's memories. Cersei was there. But Bran has, doesn't have memories of it. He's told it. So he doesn't have memories of it. Ned thinks about it very little. Barristan thinks about it a little, but he mostly only thinks about a little bit of it. He mostly thinks about Ashara Dane and how someone dishonored her and a little bit about Jamie, and then about how he was in love with Ashar himself. So, like, his thoughts are very narrow in terms of how many things were going on at this tournament that Barrison wasn't even aware of, let alone something that comes up in his chapters, in his memories. So, it's definitely the tournament we have the most sources of. Danny's heard about it. Jamie thinks about it. Bran has his story time for, obviously, Barristan on Ned. And, and there's historical mentions of it. And I'm probably missing something. It's well known that Ares had a lot of paranoia over Rhaegar and his position. He was gradually learning or hearing whispers that maybe Rhaegar was going to replace him. And heck, if you're an insane man on the throne and have a moment of lucidity, you might think, they should probably replace me. <laughs> you know, so you would, be, you would be thinking about that, maybe even yourself, which might fuel your more paranoid moments. Like, oh my God, they're going to replace me. You know, like you go from the <laughs> the salient, you know, I should be replaced to what are they? Uh, they're coming for me to replace me. Like both of these thoughts quite possibly entered his mind in different states of, of manic or not manic or whatever, using stronger terms as well. Whatever was going on in his head, let's put it that way. People like Varus were feeding this paranoia, possibly for effect, possibly not just to do their job. Like Varus may have had things in mind here. In fact, he probably did. Scaring Ares or planting seeds in his head was probably intentional. We don't know. It's not clear exactly why Varus wanted to do that, but we know he had big long-term plans that started way back then. So it's easy to see how that he may have thought exposing Ares' insanity or driving a wedge between the two Targaryen sides might have been a civil war they wanted to start back then as compared to the civil war they have helped start 15 years later or 20 years later. Let's have... The quote that describes some of Ares' thinking and the associated thoughts. In such a climate, it was scarce surprising that Lord Went's great tournament excited much suspicion. Lord Chelstead urged his grace to forbid it, and Lord Staunton went even further, suggesting a prohibition against all tourneys. Such events were widely popular with the commons, however, and when Lord Merriweather warned Ares that forbidding the tournament would only serve to make him even more unpopular, the king chose another course and announced his intention to attend. It would mark the first time that Ares II had left the safety of the Red Keep since the defiance of Duskendale. No doubt, his grace reasoned that his enemies would not dare conspire against him under his very nose. Grandmaster Pycelle tells us that Ares hoped that his presence at such a grand event would help him win back the love of his people. Now that is a wild expectation, given Ares <laughs> had the long-ass fingernails and the uncut hair. And it's like, how is this guy going to inspire loyalty or anything of uh, confidence that remotely resembles confidence? And we're like, oh my God, what the hell? And this is probably why they didn't think he would go. They're like, he hasn't left the Red Keep since Duskendale. He looks like that. It must have been a huge surprise that he attended. They were like, oh, crap. All right, well... Pycelle was probably just telling him what he wanted to hear. I bet Pycelle didn't really want him to go either, but wasn't going to tell him that. Yeah, maybe. Once Ares had made up his mind, Pycelle's like, oh, yeah, I guess that's a good idea. (laughs) That's, yeah, you might be right. And isn't that wild? Like the way they were thinking, one guy's like, just ban all tournaments. Like, all right. Uh, (laughs) Like, yeah. And then the other guy's like, no, well, you're already unpopular. Maybe let's not do things to make you more unpopular. But it goes to show, why did he want to ban tournaments? Why was that even on the table? 
Because people were conspiring against him. <laughs> it goes to show he's like, I don't want to host or allow events where people or all the different lords are going to gather and have a good excuse to talk about me. <laughs> and then he did, but he has more foolish notes. He's like, well, if I'm there, they won't do that. And there they won't talk about me. They'll uh, talk about you more. <laughs> no, everyone will talk about you. Instead of just the lords, the commons are going to start talking about you too. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure this backfired horribly. Like Rhaegar and the other lords looking around, seeing how the commons like, it probably helped them. Like if, if, if they're going to try to be the popular, like ha- have as much support he can, but being as popular as he can be. Rhaegar was very well regarded. Rhaegar was very liked. So if he's like, I want to make sure I have enough support and popularity and, and political clout to make this move as soft as it can be. This transition is so we don't want to have a civil war. We want to just remove my dad without any acrimony, without any bloodshed. The best way to do that is to, from a position of strength, to be like, Ares has no allies willing to stand up for him. Ares doesn't have people that are going to take his side and fight against Rhaegar. He wants people to just go, yeah, it's better for the realm. Let's just side with Rhaegar peacefully. Put this dude away. Let him retire. Don't give him any authority anymore. Treat him with dignity, but don't let him make any more decisions. You know, that kind of thing. That, that's, I think that's what they were aiming for. They, they, they certainly weren't aiming to overthrow him w- via blood if they didn't have to. There's no indication of that that I'm aware of. They wanted it to be peaceful. But this did throw a monkey wrench in their plans. Like it definitely became harder for them to talk about their plans with Ares there with... Because Ares isn't there by himself. He brings his retinue. He's got spies are probably there. Varus's men are probably there. So they had to keep it on the down low a little more. So it did probably impact their... It did cause the commons to start talking. So it may have built popular support for Rhaegar's side. It may have had more people go like, yeah, we'd rather have the sun as king, for sure. Especially seeing this dude and his insanity. Like, yeah, time to make a switch. We're okay with that. But that's not... A, that, but it made it harder for them to hammer out the details. Yeah, and it became... And just none of this was part of the plan. They just didn't... They couldn't have seen this coming, almost certainly. Secondarily, there is a big question about the money. House went. What do we? What do you associate with Heron Hall in the latter stages? You don't associate great wealth, right? You associate them having too much land to upkeep. They don't have enough money to pay for it all, right? And that was intentional because Heron Hall was built to be this dominant region. So one of the ways future rulers kept it from being dominant was by limiting the amount of supporting lands owned by Harrenhal. If it, if it has all this wide tracts of land supporting it, it can, it can tax all that and support itself. But if you keep it low, if you keep its supporting land small, it can't, it stays house poor. It can't feed itself. And so it's no threat to overthrow the bigger powers, which was, again, that was intentional. They don't want Harrenhal to be too powerful, so they have to keep it muted, keep it nerfed. So where did house went? Get the money for this, what's said to be three times grander than the one Tywin threw for Viserys that he was trying to arrange Cersei to marry Rhaegar. Where did they get that money? (laughs) Big question. There's really only one person that people suspect. I mean, Tywin would be someone to suspect given he has that kind of money, but Tywin didn't attend. No Lannisters attended. Rhaegar is the one that people suspect. He's the one who paid for it. It's possible that Tywin sent money to him and, and then he paid for it through Rhaegar, like multiple intermediaries. But Rhaegar is the one at all seems to point at. The spotlight's on. And it's, it's obvious why, given all the things we just said, he's the one that's trying to steer this ship peacefully away from his father towards himself, towards his reign. Obviously, that didn't happen. But to add to the conspiracy, Sean, you may not have been aware of this. The tournament was announced in 280. It was held in the year after. 
but it was announced right after Lord Went got a visit from his Kingsguard brother, Oswell Went. Oswell Went was one of the three Kingsguard who died at the Tower of Joy, defending Rhaegar's child to their last breath, along with Arthur Dane and Gerald Hightower. So Oswell Went was tight with Rhaegar. He was one of his tight, tight buds, right? It makes sense that Rhaegar might have sent him with this message, this plan. Yes, to broach yeah. this opportunity. It also makes sense that Tywin might have been excited for this to happen. It might have even contributed money, but he, it also makes sense for him to not let his involvement be known. Just to know? stand yeah. aside and maybe take a, like, yeah. jump in with the winners like he did with Robert's Rebellion. Just wait to see, wait yeah. for it to be decisive. So yeah, this is something about the tournament that makes it so special and that implies both the grand wealth and that there was the fact so much was going on is because they wanted so many distractions. They wanted it to be the huger the event, the more smoke screens they have to hide what's really going on. That that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. I was going to use the word smoke screen. You took the <laughs> Nice. It had like all the add-ons. If it were a pizza, it had every topping. If it was a game, it had all the DLCs. Pineapple? <laughs> Even pineapple. It had Night, Night's Watch recruiters there to, to try to win people to the Night's Watch. It had Jamie's white cloak ceremony, which was very dramatic because Ares told him to go home afterwards. He's like, wait, I was going to enter the tournament. No, you're mine now. <laughs> go, that's what he said. He's mine now. You go back to the Red Keep. You can't even watch? No. <laughs> like, damn, that's rough. That helped set up some of the, Ar- the Dane plot too, because like I said, with, Ar- with Barristan thinking about Arthur Dane, or not Arthur Dane, but Ashara Dane and Ned and all that business, that's added here. That all happened here. Obviously, the Ray Garliana stuff happened here. Some of it started before this, but it came to a head here with the Night of the Laughing Tree and Howland Reed getting beat up by the Squires and Liana helping him and maybe supernatural stuff going on with them and Ares demanding that saying the Knight of the Laughing Tree is no friend of his. It was just all this stuff that is above the tournament, you know, and aside of it, it's super cool. Rhaegar's win, of course, capped off a long string of victories and near victories, meaning it was really emphasized what a great warrior he was. Even if people were losing to him sometimes, he actually did beat Barristan. We know that pretty clearly because Barristan thinks about it. He thinks, man, if only I had won then he wouldn't have given the Queen of Love and Beauty prize to Liana, and that might, like, that would have, might have avoided a lot of problems. So he, it's a good man that blames himself for something that's not his fault. He's like, if I, only if I had won. So he, one of the reasons we like Barrison so much is he's taking responsibility for something that's entirely not his fault. Just what more could I have done? That's a question that good people ask. And this is kind of funny too. Barristan, <laughs> reading the history of tournament wins, which isn't exactly what we're out here to talk about today, but I want to throw it in because it's fun. Barristan won a bunch of tournaments in the 250s and then a bunch in the 290s <laughs> and a bunch in between. <laughs> he just, just wins, like, just can't be stopped, really. And that too is a message. So it is kind of on brand here. It is kind of part of this. It's the message was, don't mess with Ares' Kingsguard. Like, that was a huge problem. They're like, okay, we're going to overthrow Ares. We can get a lot of lords to detach themselves from him because they don't want to be part of a sinking ship. But his Kingsguard, what are we going to do about them? Those guys are badasses. How are we going to say, like, what if, if they, if he says no and starts telling them to go out and kill people or take, bring me the heads of this and that, and like, what's going to happen? We have to fight Arthur Dane and Barristan Selmy and crap. Like, bah, what are we going to do about that? So this is a real problem and something that continuously was emphasized throughout Ares' reign because they kept winning tournaments. It was like, there was basically three recurring tournament winners in this era. Arthur Dane, Barristan Selmy, and Rhaegar. 
Jamie was constantly getting like second and third and fourth. He, he won a couple, but mostly he was in that winner's circle without winning. He was also a little younger in this era. Like, that's another thing. He was an up-and-comer where the others were established. But still, that's a big deal. Like, you, if you're going up against Ares, you're going up against these guys. And then, of course, Jamie becomes one of those Kingsguard. <laughs> like, and this yeah. moment is like, okay. <laughs> and the next great warrior is also part of that Kingsguard. Now, his loyalty wasn't as dependable, but in Ares' mind, put a white cloak on someone and they belong to him. So <laughs> he didn't think that through entirely. But also, also a side topic. Yeah. So, wow. Big, big tournament. Big things happening. So much at once. And very little of it has to do with the actual tournament. But even the tournament itself sent a message who the baddest warriors were. And it doesn't take a genius to see all those guys are on the same team. But if, if Kingsguard were to flip, if Arthur Dane were to switch to Rhaegar's side, if Gerald Hightower to switch to Rhaegar's side, it would also have a huge impact. Just like Barristan taking sides did have a huge impact during, during uh, the War of Five Kings. Renly was like, we want, we saved his place for Barristan. We wanted him so badly that we saved a spot for him. Uh, Tywin called it stupid that they sent him away <laughs> to Cersei. And like, God, that was dumb as hell, y'all. Why did you do that? <laughs> like for Sandor, <laughs> Clegane? Like, why? Like, he, he's the same guy with or without a white cloak. <laughs> you know, you could have had both of them. <laughs> you know, like, ah, that was dumb, guys. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the hands tournaments. In light of talking about topics like funding and how, where did this money come from and how tournaments can cost too much, we have back to our initial quote that you picked, Sean, of Ned not wanting to spend money on things like this or waste time on things like this when there's ruling to be done. We have a quote from Septimordain, someone with a totally different perspective on this event, a completely different type of thinker, a, a character whose position is not well represented usually. So I thought it'd be good to throw her in here. Right. Princess Marcella will be there, my lord, and her younger than Lady Sansa. All the ladies of the court will be expected at a grand event like this. And as the tourney is in your honor, it would look queer if your family did not attend. Ned was grumbling so hard that he was thinking that Sansa and Arya wouldn't go. He's like, I don't even want you to go. And Sansa's like, what? For once, Septimordain had her back there. It was like, mm, my lord, it would look queer if you didn't go, you know? <laughs> and he's like, ah, fine. And Arya's like, I don't care. And Arya's like, I don't care. <laughs> and Sansa's like, the tournament will be very nice. No, you, you won't be welcome, you know, because <laughs> you're not very, you're not, you're not upscale <laughs> enough for it. <laughs> and Ned's like, ah, oh, this is why I don't want to deal with any of this. <laughs> <laughs> but it was huge for the story. Like you said, Sean, at the beginning, like we danced around, like we set up. It introduced so many of the most important characters. We just mentioned Sandor is a big introduction to him. We kind of knew who he was already, but we didn't have a full idea of his prowess. Gregor as well. Loris, Jamie. J George led readers astray a little bit with that hue of the veil plot. He tricked us a bit, but the idea was there. The reason we fell for it was that a fake accident in a tournament where someone murdered someone and made it look like an accident it made sense to us, like getting rid of a loose end. We've seen that plot in other stories where this guy can, can out us, so we have to kill him to clear up to make sure that we're safe. That's not what happened, <laughs> but it looked like that. So George used it effectively as misdirection. Was it also in his tournament we got introduced to Littlefinger? I believe we had met him briefly, but we learned a lot more about him. He was, he yeah. taught, he, he sort of outs Renly's sexuality in the show version and in the book version. I don't think he has much to say other than he, he yells out a bet. And that matters too. 
He talked to Sansa. He definitely like put some fear in Sansa about the Hound. Yeah, the show version did that. Yeah, yeah, totally. He took her. He took. He got the Hound's origin story <laughs> and told it, yeah, which we're like, ah, yeah. oh, that should have been his story to tell. But still, the book version. I think he may have said one or two other things, but he definitely like yelled out a bet, and then that came back later. The betting came back later because Tyrion gets infuriated when he finds out that Catelyn's evidence against him was a bet told to him by little, told to her by Littlefinger. He's like. Your evidence is a is Littlefinger told you I bet uh, against my own brother? <laughs> Doesn't that sound wrong to you? Like I didn't lose this dagger betting against Jamie. That's because he says he got the dagger betting against Tyrion Lannister, the cat's paw dagger. So again, I think people forget that that's part of the tournament. <laughs> this all I like. This was this is all yeah. wrapped up in there. And another lesson from the Sir Hugh of the Vale thing is. A person with no allies at court is in a lot of danger. Sir Hugh of the Vale had nobody, no allies. He was a, a squire to John Aaron, who is no longer there, right? And John Aaron's court went back to the Vale. The people who were in his retinue have gone back to the Vale, and he didn't go with them. Sucker. And so he gets... He's, if you're alone at court, someone will use you. You will be used because you have no allies. No one will protect you. Whether you're Sansa without your family around you, they're too far away to help, or you're someone that doesn't have a family of, of note in terms of the nobility like Sir Hugh, it turned out to be the simplest thing of all. Gregor used him to satisfy his bloodlust. It wasn't some big conspiracy. It wasn't any of that stuff. It was just Gregor likes killing. <laughs> Sandor was like, I could have told you that. He did tell them that. In <laughs> fact, he did tell Sansa that. No one believed him. <laughs> He's like, no, Gregor saw that guy's gorget wasn't fastened properly. That's what he saw. <laughs> he didn't see gold in his palm. <laughs> he saw <laughs> an opportunity to kill someone. By the way, I think we mentioned this once, but Hugh of the Vale was the same actor of Jason and Tylan Lannister. That dude's done yeah. some work. Jefferson Hall, yeah. <laughs> Where's many faces? Good man, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, even if you do ostensibly have allies in King's Landing, you're still going to get used. Like, Ned True. wasn't there all by himself, True. and he still got manipulated left and right. Yeah, part of it is just, are you the type that can be manipulated? Are you manipulatable? You're the, you're, yeah. what are you, the, you're the, the meat or the butcher? That analogy kind of yeah. fits here. And the tournament personally has a huge impact on Sansa, on her character, disabusing her of the, what's really happening. She learns indirectly, but starting at the tournament of things aren't as they seem. It's kind of the beginning of her naivete falling off. And again, yeah. we like to point out that it does fall off quickly. She learns pretty fast. But there was a lot to learn. She, she had a lot of naivete to start with. Yeah, I also want to point out that it's not like Sansa is this weird, naive character. No. Like, anyone is 10 years old, you know, you, you think that these knights are heroes and you realize they're killers. It's, you know, it's part of why George is writing this book, you know? it's uh, Bran had the same view. Story. Bran's like, remember one of yeah. Bran's first quotes that we read, like from his second chapter, I think it is, not his first chapter when they're doing the direwolf, but when he's like, Bran knew all the stories. And he's talking about the Kingsguard. He's like, Barristan the Bold, Ryan Redwine, Eric and Arik. Remember that? Like, that's like his second or third chapter or something like that. So yeah, he's entranced by all that too. And he would have been there sitting right next to his sister enjoying it all if it hadn't been for his fall. He was as much looking forward to all that as hers. They, those two would have been yeah. of one mind about the tournament, at least at first. And it shows the state of the realm. Some of these tournaments aren't able to judge that because we don't have a close enough view of it like we do with, say, House of the Dragon episode one where we see it's openly discussed, the state of the realm and how that reflects that. Other times we kind of have to read between the lines. Like here... At Robert's term, there's a lot of people that... There's a lot of undertones of unrest. We already... We find out later people are already plotting to maybe marry... To remarry Robert to Marjorie. People kind of... The word was out 
that Robert's daughters or Robert's children weren't his. Like people, a lot of people knew that. And anytime people are gathering, people can talk about that. And Robert's getting older. He's getting less healthy. There's more and more plots up in the air. A lot of people out there are going to be thinking, well, how much longer is this guy going to be king? Preparing for the inevitable of unrest when Joffrey ascends if people object to him based on his true parentage. So a lot of people are probably worried about that or thinking about that or what's going to happen. So a lot of people are on edge maybe. And this tournament, I think, reflects in some ways. But it's presented us to us mostly through the naive eyes of Sansa. So we're not seeing that. Sansa's not out here looking around. I wonder who's plotting. You know, I wonder this Lord over here whispering in his ear. She's not taking note of things like that. <laughs> you know, that's not her POV isn't. Now she is. In the veil, she's going to say it creates a good juxtaposition for her character down the line. That's why I can't. How differently she looks at things. Yeah, it's part of the reason I can't wait for the tournament of the Winged Knights through her point of view is we're going to see what she saw at the Tans tournament compared to her much more wizened view at the tournament of the Winged Knights. I can't wait to see like the difference there. That's going to be so cool. Thoros and Angai are in this tournament. Thoros wins the melee. Great, great way to introduce Thoros and Angai wins the archery contest and got the archer. So these characters are introduced well before they're both in the Brotherhood Without Banners. <laughs> it's like, well, the Brotherhood got some pretty good fighters there on their side. <laughs> and we also just see the state of the realm in, this, in, this, in terms of Ned complaining about the money. Robert, Robert beggared the realm. Ned was like, wow, even Ares was better with money. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> damn, even Robert, oh, that, that really dep- that depressed him a bit. And he was, and, and sent him, at first he was in disbelief. He was like, he couldn't believe that Robert was worse with money, especially because John Aaron was in charge for a while than Ares. But it's like, yeah, John Aaron gave him good advice, but Robert didn't listen. <laughs> That's what I think Varus said that. <laughs> Put it very diplomatically, but. So here we go. And what does that mean? He, this, this next quote really tells you, gives you a sense of how much all this costs and how, many, how much problems it causes for people who aren't directly involved, for people who aren't the participants or the people in the viewing stands. Here we go. Knights have been arriving from all over the realm. And for every night, we get two, fre- we get two free riders, three craftsmen, six men-at-arms, a dozen merchants, two dozen whores, and more thieves than I dare to guess. This cursed heat had half the city in a fever to start, and now with all these visitors, last night we had a drowning, a tavern riot, three knife fights, a rape, two fires, robberies beyond count, and a drunken horse race down the street of the sisters. The night before, a woman's head was found in the great sept, floating in the rainbow pool. No one seems to know how it got there or who it belongs to. This is one of the few times Jano Slint is worth quoting because <laughs> this know, is who we're talking about. You know, this makes me think of Damon Targaryen in House of the Dragon when he's talking about like getting ready for the tourney and you want, how do you want the city to be when they show up because people are going to party. That's a very good point, Shay. I didn't think of that one. You're totally right. He's mentioning it. And, and, and in the way that's presented, it's, it's like maybe he's exaggerating because of the, all the sh- stuff he just did and chopping limbs off. And it's like, maybe he just likes doing that. But it does sound like he might have been telling the truth and just being too severe with how to handle it. But oh, the truth that there is a lot of crime in the city is believable. Yeah, especially with stuff like this happening. <laughs> just because it's true that there's a lot of crime in a city doesn't mean you shouldn't have a trial for the people being accused. Agreed, you know, <laughs> but... yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> What's also an F, jumping much farther forward here into the end of the second book, whereas this is happening early in the first book, is that long after this, the tourney grounds are made and they just kind of sit there afterwards. They were, they were set aside and, and afterwards there's still some like leftover construction and just the area that had been made for that. 
It turns into an actual battlefield later. It's sort of foreshadowing because the Battle of the Blackwater spills into this area because ships are being are going up the Blackwater and leaving men to jump off. And that's a lot of that's right at the turning grounds. After the battle, after the Battle of the Blackwater, Ned is dead by then too, of course, dead for a while. There's just bodies everywhere. And it's just described that way. Bodies all over the tournament grounds, which is really just brings it all back together. Like the, the issues that started at the tournament or were on display, they didn't start at the tournament. Some of them did. Some of them were just on display. They were focused. They were put under the lens, under the microscope. And some of them were exacerbated. Nothing was really settled at the tournament. Things didn't improve because of the tournament. Alliances didn't weren't formed so much of more grievances were registered. And then here we go. Like the battle actually comes to a head two bo- you know, a book and a half later. And it's the biggest battle to the, in the series so far to that point, just tens of thousands of casualties. A bunch of dead bodies on the tournament grounds kind of adds context to Cersei's quote. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Oh, yeah. Especially because a lot of tournaments are about... Games of the tournament are now... A- spot of death in a real war. Yeah, good said. You're right about that. So now, back to the other side. Before before this happened, though, well before the Battle of the Blackwater, we get the Knights of Summer at the Rainbow Guard Tournament in Bitterbridge of 299 AC. The state of the realm question is much different here because it's a rebel king. This is not a king sitting the throne. This is a king in the field. Usually rebels don't have time to hold tournaments. I said at the beginning, it's a power move. He was doing it for two, mostly for, I think there were two main reasons. One was to show just how powerful he was. He could afford to do this. He could afford to waste time. He could afford to casually stroll into King's Landing as his army grew larger and larger along the way. There was a little bit of strategy there. Some of it was just grandstanding. Some of it was Renly pumping himself up and pumping up his cause. But some of it was just letting the others fight it out while he took his time. That didn't work out so well because... The Stannis landed right next to him and they ended up having to fight. And that shouldn't have been a big problem for Renly's army, but he didn't account for Shadow Baby. None of us accounted for <laughs> Shadow Baby at the time. Well, that was a big surprise. Shadow Babies might be in cahoots with the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> I think you might be right. Do those Shadow Babies speak Spanish? Hmm. I haven't heard them speak. It is different. And it's also a different reason. Like, Visenya would have cringed at the idea of a tournament to decide who the King's Guard is, because that's what Aegon wanted to do. Aegon the Conqueror is like, let's have a tournament. The best warriors will be my King's Guard. Visenya's like, no, bad idea. You want the most loyal. You want people who will die for you, not the best warrior. The best warrior might just be like, I could beat that guy, but I'm going to stand stand aside because I don't want to fight him because I'm not that loyal to you. You picked me because I'm good at fighting, but actually, I'm kind of loyal to myself. But yeah, you don't want King's Guard like that. You want the ones who will die for you, or- like. Fagon said, like, he wants Duck in his Kingsguard because Duck will die for him. He's like, yeah, he's not the greatest swordsman, but he will die for me. And Connington wasn't happy about that. But I think a lot of us were like, that's a smart move. Like, maybe you don't want seven dunks, ducks. Seven dunks would be good. <laughs> but <laughs> but one, one or two in the mix is really good for, the, you know, for that reason. So, But no, an ideal world is seven dunks. Yeah, seven dunks. You can't do better than yeah. that. <laughs> what were you going to say before, Sean, though? Oh, someone might not only be loyal to themselves, but they might be loyal to their uncle or yeah. their neighbor or their master at arms or whoever, whoever else it might be. That yeah, it's a, it, it is you. You do need a, a good a good mix of both you know competence and loyalty. And then aside from all that, there's like the political maneuvering mm. of like making a house feel honored by choosing someone, or maybe like keeping a certain person 
from taking over a house well, by Jamie. Yeah. Their, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. yeah, totally true. You're right. There's a lot of reasons. Like that's what Otto is saying. That's why Otto was like, let's not just skip over the political considerations here by naming Kristen Cole. He's like, there's reasons. And he's, she doesn't want to hear that. She didn't want to hear that because she thought she's like, oh, politics, this and that. But it could have been something to her benefit. It could have been a political choice that benefited her, but she didn't want to hear it. And Otto wouldn't have probably given her advice along with that. If she had been aware of that, she could have made a choice that helped her politically. But Otto wouldn't have steered her in that direction. He was, but he did bring raise the idea, raise the issue, which is worthy of discussion. Tournament might be a good way to pick one person for the Kings. Yeah, maybe even a couple. <laughs> yeah, but not all seven. But yeah. here, I don't think it's a problem in Renly's case, and the reason is is because this is a re- he's a rebel. They already wouldn't be with him. They're already declared yeah. for a rebel. That, that implies loyalty already. There are like Brienne, obviously, you don't need to worry about that with him or Loras. But I think if you're fighting in this situation to be to fight for a rebel king, you've already pretty much declared your loyalty. There's maybe a way, a yeah. way for someone to worm in and pretend, but just fight for the other side if you're going to do that. You know what I mean? Like how, yeah. how could you prove that you were doing that? I don't know. Westeros doesn't really operate like that. Underhanded moves like that don't usually get treated with respect in, in the aftermath. You want to beat your opponents head to head. That's what gets you respect. Why well, Stannis didn't get a lot of respect for right. <laughs> and, Renly being killed with a shadow. And maybe, that's right? partly why Renly was so keen on doing this because he's like, this works for him. He's going to show, look how badly people want to fight for me. And that message spreads. Like, everyone wants to fight for Renly. And that's why he can go move along slowly, letting that message spread. Like, let that permeate through the countryside. The great Renly is here, the one everyone wants to fight for. I do too. You know, like, let that, let that yeah. war do its work. So throwing tournaments along the way, it definitely, it might seem frivolous. And a part of it was, because I'm not sure how much Renly realized how strategic this was or if it just kind of worked out for him. <laughs> yeah. Just because it happens to be good or have some good elements doesn't mean that's why Renly was Exactly. Doing it. I, I don't want to give him too much credit, but I do think there were reasons it worked for him. Let's put it that way. Like whether intentional or not. It, it's the type of thing that would be neat. You know, you can't imagine that there were some, you, he had some advisors around him. There might've been someone explaining to him the bonuses, you know, like yeah. even if he came up with this, it, it would be a neat, you can imagine like a council meeting where someone's like telling really why it's such a bad idea. And he's like, well, but, and someone else is like, no, it's actually, it's a good idea for this one. I was like, yes, that. <laughs> and can you, so, all right, let's do it. Yeah. Can you imagine the opposite with Stannis? We're like, Stannis is like, no tournaments. And, and they're like, yeah, yeah, but there's a couple of good reasons. Like he'd be like, Ned, he'd be like, I don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> He's like, all right. Yes, you might be right, so we'll do it's it. Like, but it's so much money. Yeah, but anyway. So he's like, oh, it's it's people do it, so I'll do it because people do it. You know, I got to do it as expected of a king, you know, like a fine. You know? <laughs> that might be what gets him, you know. It's like, it's kind of your duty. But boy, he would just be grumbling the whole time. He'd be like, next, yeah, get it over with, you know. <laughs> He'd be like his brother starts a joust already, but not because he wa- he can't wait for it. He's like, he can't wait for it to be over. <laughs> the other thing that Nina points out that was really valuable for Renly in the sense was that by marrying Marjorie, he wins the reach over to his side. But this has just happened. So he needs to also like have time for that to spread through the reach and for the reach to sort themselves out and decide who they're going to follow. And of course, they're likely to follow the daughter, the, the side that has Marjorie Tyrell. But again, take your time and let them join you rather than rush off to battle before you're at full strength. And Nina says similar things about Damon Blackfire says he used his knightly skills and tournament experience to appeal to the people in the reach. Like he was the consummate knight. He was a tournament dominator. And so when he shows up in the reach being like, Hey, look at me. I'm like you. I'm your ideal. A lot of people flock to his banners and Renly was trying to capture some of that same energy 
though he did not have Damon Blackfire's skills, <laughs> but he did have a lot of that same popularity, a lot of that belief. Charisma. In, yeah, he had the charisma without the, the skills. He may have had more political skills than Damon Blackfire. We don't really know. He just definitely didn't have the, the sword skills. Nina points out, though, there's, there's downsides as well. Like, had he just gone straight for King's Landing, he might have just won it and that had been the end of it. He, he might not have needed the extra strength. Speed could have done yeah. more for him. So it could have been a, it could have been a huge mistake. It's, it's a woulda, coulda, shoulda. We don't know. It may have backfired had he done that. May have, but as it is, Renly fans are bitter. All right, the tourney of the winged knights. It's our last example of the day. The last major example. I did collect a few anecdotes from other tournaments for, for our outro here. But yeah, I don't want to say too much about this one because some of y'all have avoided it because of its wins winner spoilers. So we won't get into details. But here, let me just say a few things that are obvious. It's a tournament run by Littlefinger. Stuff's going to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're also like discussing grain prices during winter, which is the type of behind the scenes, like finagling of finance, the kind of thing we, we, we talk about that, that definitely happens that we just don't always are privy to. And we know that Lynn Corbray is there. We already know that, that Littlefinger worked with Lynn Corbray to throw off another meeting in A Feast for Crows when they met to d- the Lord's Declarant and all that, where he got Lynn Corbray to pull his sword out at a parlay to throw the whole thing off. I don't know what he's going to do here, but these two are, again, in cahoots, most likely. So, And we do also know Harold yeah. Harding won a melee for Squires. And Harold Harding maybe isn't that great of a fighter. So did he really win that melee for Squires? Like, what happened there? You know, so there's all this, lots of setup. You know, Littlefinger's off in a lot of ways, but but I can I still can imagine him being so frustrated with Robert and whoever else. Like, do you know what I could do with a tournament? God, one day, run my own tournament. <laughs> Man, the <laughs> things I could pull. No idea the potential that you're flittering away. <laughs> yeah, because he knows how to make money too. So he would do all the things. Like he would, he would find ways to ma- maximize the profits as well as all the other evil stuff, which the maximizing the profits isn't necessarily evil, but it can be. It, when he does it, it usually is. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, but even the other stuff isn't necessarily evil, like coordinating marriages yeah, and yeah. getting someone to repair some road and making friends among different knights and all this stuff could all be very poly. You know, even if maybe he has, you know, selfish evil intentions or whatever, he could still be very productive with the tournament. Yeah. Whereas Robert barely cares, throws a bunch of money at it and just wants to see someone fight, you know? Well, that's part of why he's uh, risen so high is because he is effective with money. Some of that is, yeah. is effective, quote unquote, because he's fooled people into thinking he's effective when actually he's put the crown in some debt and things and done all this financial chicanery that benefited him a lot. But he is good at it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, if he wasn't, if he was totally incompetent, yeah, he wouldn't have risen that high in the first place. He has to have some skills that are not all evil or he wouldn't, yeah, he wouldn't have gotten this far. It's also just kind of odd too. Isn't it weird to think about this, a tournament about to happen <laughs> and with everything else? I'm like, we're about to have the others are like coming. Like there's a war at the wall. I mean, John was just killed. <laughs> you know, Danny was just, is on the, out in the middle of nowhere. There's plague at Marine. I mean, the Vale's going to have a tournament, but that, but it makes sense. The Vale's been held out of the fighting and they've wanted to fight. They're like, let us go fight. Damn you, Lysa. We want to get out there. We want to be part of this. We look weak sitting here doing nothing. It's embarrassing. So this is the next best thing. Have a tournament. There's something at stake, right? So they want to get involved. And again, the thing that's at stake is being Robert's personal guardians, which 
They're doing it. Nez is, isn't loyalty. This is this is skill at arms. We just talked about why that's not the best idea. But of course, the the idea that Robert will get murdered by Littlefinger is, <laughs> comes up way before <laughs> this chapter. Of course, in fact, the biggest evidence for it has nothing to do with this chapter. Anyway, you can also imagine loyalty may come down to who wins this tournament. Like yeah, on the you're surface, right. it's about to go, but Littlefinger's going to set it up so that the loyal people win. Right? Loyal to him, yeah. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's that's kind of what we're expecting anyway. We don't know for sure. Because again, for those of you who haven't read the chapter, the tournament isn't in it. It presumably in Elaine's second T-Wow chapter, but we're not sure yet. It's just the setup is there. We're expecting a lot there. We're expecting more level, a higher level of intrigue, maybe on the level of the tournament of White Walls, but also just the, the unusual nature of a tournament happening at a time when there's war in almost every other region in the realm and overseas. But hey, the veil, they're just getting started. We talked at the beginning of how like the book was in the first book was introduced kind of with a tournament. The first show was introduced with a tournament. The House of the Dragon was introduced with a tournament. Well, the veil, they have to have that too. They get their turn at the tourney, their turn. E. Yeah. Don't go tournamental over it. <laughs> we'll send you to a you need to work on your tournamental health. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So just a few other tournaments that are worth mentioning that we're not going to get into, but just ones I wanted to stoke the imagination as we work our way out of this episode. Daenerys's wedding tournament in the year 187. Not Daenerys of current times, obviously, because I said the year 187. This is Daenerys of Watergarden's fame. Her wedding tournament featured Damon Blackfire in the finals against Baylor Breakspear. Hello. <laughs> that was a <laughs> that was a that was foreshadowing, wasn't it? And uh, Baylor Breakspear won, just like his side won in the uh, Black, in the Battle of the Redgrass Field. Otho Bracken slayed Quentin Blackwood at a tournament three years prior to Ashford Meadow, which had the Blackwoods and Brackens uh, not so happy with each other, as, of course, they never are. But this fired up that old wound again. He got the nickname The Brute of Bracken for that. It's unclear whether he had much intent there, but Bracken Blackwood probably did. Probably did. <laughs> <laughs> and that that needed to needed work. The, the king had to do some business there to keep them at each, from killing each other. The Golden Wedding had a huge tournament that was notable and expensive. The whole Golden Wedding was expensive, was the biggest wedding, perhaps, in the history of the Targaryen reign. Yeah, that was obviously the Alyssa and Rogar's wedding. Yeah. yeah. I'll never forget the Golden Wedding because we got a, someone in our comments one time when we did our George R. R. Martin interview and, like, George starts talking about the Golden Wedding and we, like, change the subject to something else. And someone commented like, I can't believe you guys cut George off when he was about to reveal some <laughs> new wedding in the main scene. You know, like, I can't believe that. We're like, we're probably like, that was, it's a known historical event, yo. Right, the person didn't respond, <laughs> was like, oh, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that was I think cool. of that every time. I'm like, you guys, this is what the golden wedding is, if you don't know. <laughs> Referring to some things that y'all mentioned before, Sean, you mentioned that a lot of uh, older school tournaments involved teams where they would turn, they would fight each other on teams and then it would change up. To commemorate the opening of the Dragon Pit, the Dragon Pit was so huge that they had a tournament inside it before they started moving dragons into it. We can picture it really well now that we've seen House of the Dragon, right? You're right, we yeah. can. Yeah. Yeah. That totally space. right. Still, totally, they could have a tournament in there. And what, what they did was they had a bunch of teams that fought each other. And when one team won, that team had to turn on itself. So tournament, you know, they turned on themselves. And that was the one Nina was referring to 
that Lucamore strong one, Luke, the, who, of course, that became Lucamore the lusty. So his ending wasn't so great, but it had a great start. Yeah. <laughs> pretty good middle, too. And that's pretty him. good middle, yeah. He had a he, good time in the middle there with 16 <laughs> children, but... Yeah. I can imagine some, like, survivor-type tactics in that. Like, you, you want to be on the winning team so you can make it to the end, but you might not want the strongest people on your team to make it to that second but stage, But you do want right? the Lucamore <laughs> strongest people on your team. <laughs> <laughs> or you want someone to take him out before he went, yeah. So that's pretty cool. And uh, the Red Viper, when he crippled Willis, that was in a tournament. We don't know what tournament, just some random tournament. It's never given a name. But that was obviously really important politically. Red Viper claimed... I didn't do anything on purpose. And he, he's the kind of guy that would say he did, probably, if he does. Like, no, I meant to do that. He would not be shy about saying that. But it still had a political, huge political impact. Like, that's the, the brother to the Lord of Dorne, or to the Prince of Dorne, crippled the heir to Highgarden. That's a big story, whether, you know, even though it was almost certainly just an accident. Willis even believed it was an accident. Willis, remember, he sends that, him gifts. Didn't he fall off his horse or get the horse fell on him or the something? The horse fell on him, yeah. That's what happened. He got, he, yeah. yeah. That seems hard to blame. Exactly. The Red Viper, but from yeah. a distance, this violent Dornishman who has a reputation and you have this young, gentle, yeah. it just, it doesn't look good. And, and, yeah, the, and the, the Red Viper's like, he was too young yeah, to be I mean, in tournaments. the Reach and Dorn are like, you know, traditional enemies at odds. At yeah. odds. So, it, you know, yeah, yeah the, the average person might not believe that story. Yeah. Like if Otho Bracken really did accidentally kill Lucas Blackwood, no one would believe him. Quentin Blackwood. Yeah. Quentin Blackwood, I'm sorry. Quentin Blackwood, yeah. No one would believe him, <laughs> except his family. And he might not even own up to He's like, no, yeah, I meant to do that. <laughs> like, I didn't. He might go like, it's the, it's the question we have about Eamon. Was Eamon going to own up to killing <laughs> Luke? Is he going to claim he did it on purpose or is he going to say, oops? Yeah. Lady Ellen, as in Lady Ellen Rain of the Reigns of Castamere era, she threw a lot of tournaments as a way to pump her house up, as a way to sort of overshadow the Lannisters, right? She was the lady of Castle Rock, even though she didn't really have the authority. She did. She took the authority and no one called her out on it until Tywin came along and he was old enough to do that. But she was throwing tournaments as a means to pump up her half of the family to be the, the dominant in-law. And it was working. She was just giving out orders. She was telling people what to do. She was ruling in, in, in all but name. And being the provider, being the one who holds the large events, like gives you that, like supports that level of unearned authority. So that's part of how she took the reins. In 272, there was a tournament four years before Ares Tywin held the tournament for Viserys's birth. This was the 10-year anniversary of Ares as king. This is the time when Ares mocked Joanna and was like, it's your breasts have been ruined by having kids, you know, and I just said that in front of everybody. And Tywin tried to resign the next day, and Ares was like, no, you can't resign. <laughs> like, man. <laughs> it really tries... Ares tries really hard to make us feel bad for Tywin. <laughs> it's hard to do that, though. Yeah. <laughs> the Greyjoy defeat was celebrated at Lannisport, Balon's Rebellion, the one where Jorah won that event. But under the radar is that Jorah won the final tilt by decision. He didn't win straightforward. He... It, he broke nine lances against Jamie, and Robert named Jorah the victor. Was Robert going to name Jamie the victor? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe he's like, maybe this was his chance. Maybe he, well, he's in my mind, Robert's thinking, Robert likes jousting. So why would he just call an end to it? He would just let them keep going. Robert loves fighting. My thinking is he didn't want Jamie to win. So he could just say he gave it to Jorah so as an excuse. Because he's like, if it keeps on going, Jamie might win. And he didn't want that. <laughs> So it was this way to just like, 
okay, Jorah wins. He fought better. Yeah, I bet he heard about it from Cersei that night, though. Again, politics getting involved, a little just extracurricular. It's kind of low-scale politics, but still, like, none of this, Jorah, none of that other stuff with Jorah and Linus maybe wouldn't have happened if, if they'd kept going and Jamie had won, or if Robert had picked Jamie just to please his wife. Maybe, maybe Robert's like, I really don't want to hear it from Cersei, so I'm going to name Jamie the champion. I don't know. Weird to think, by the way, Danny might just be dead. If Jorah hadn't been there. Yeah, yeah you're right. Jorah didn't serve her. If, if, you know, if Jamie had won that tournament, Jorah doesn't make that marriage, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. He so saved her life outside out. the tent, for sure. Maybe and yeah. maybe a few other times. But definitely, that one's very notable. Like the, the Blood Riders were going to come kill her. Yeah. That's the, one of the most straightforward. Let's see. So, yeah. So it really shows us, this, this gives us the meta. When you see Jorah winning and Jamie being talked about and you hear about some of the other people who were in that tournament, it's, it's the meta showing us who the badasses are before we see them in real action. It, it's like, okay, so we know Jamie's good at fighting before we've ever seen him swing a sword. We know Jorah's must be legit, even though he was on another level that day. Like, he was more inspired than he's ever been. Still, he was a good fighter. He was the second one through the walls at Pike, which is part of this story because that was the, the final battle that led to this tournament. And it, again, allows the, George to mention people like Thoros of Mir who was the first one through the breach with his flaming sword. It allows us multiple mentions of characters like that because in a story this large, sometimes we need multiple mentions of characters to remember who they are. Like, we're all so deep in it at this point, we don't need to be reminded of who Thoros of Mir is. But early on, that was useful. <laughs> or before it sunk in who Thoros of Mir was, that was useful. That was good. Also, the reason we know now is because he's had several mentions. Yeah, know, like yeah, true, true. Uh, we would know him less otherwise, yeah. Funny as well, Joffrey's name day tournament in 299, that's, we mentioned that briefly. That was uh, the year before, 298, Lor- Jamie lost to Loras in the finals of the same tournament, which was, again, J- Jamie constantly finishing second, third, fourth in a lot of these tournaments. So Laura, Loras won that one. And... 299, like I said, was the Dantos affair. Sandor didn't even enter. He's like, ah, this is the tournament of gnats. Because the war has started by this point. So most of, the, most of the best warriors are out in the field. And this features one of my favorite exchanges in all of A Song of Ice and Fire when Joffrey's like, all right, the tournament's over. Tournament's done. He's just bored. It's not a very good tournament because this, most of the best warriors aren't there. Dantos is, has just happened. And that's embarrassing, <laughs> you know? And so Tom is like, wait, I didn't get a chance to do, to ride against the Quintain. And Joffrey's like, don't be childish, you know? And, and Tom said, mother said, and here's the quote. Mother said, mocked the king, don't be childish. We're children, Marcella declared haughtily. We're supposed to be childish. The hound laughed. She has you there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line so much. We're childish. We're, we're children. We're supposed to be childish. Is, that's maybe one of the only times the hound has ever laughed, too. I think it's notable for that reason, too. Like, <laughs> Marcella can make the hound laugh. <laughs> only young girls can make. Maybe Arya, maybe someone. Because I think Arya did make her laugh once or t- make him laugh once or twice, too. Although I don't think she was trying to. Sounds slightly like stepping over the line there, too. Yeah. That, you know, like, yeah. And the next line is like, Joffrey was beaten. He's like, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Have your little, you know, be your bait, whatever he says. You know, he just gives in without, while still denigrating them, you know? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that was really good. I love that moment. Lots of stuff happens at tournaments, great and small, whether it's a tournament of gnats, like Sandor says, where, where Dantos gets drunk, or a giant tournament of Harrenhal, where more things 
could happen that we could possibly talk about in one episode. You know, it's kind of funny that we've never done an episode squarely on the Tournament of Hall. Maybe someday. And from little things like that to people like Sansa. Sansa at this Tournament of Nats behaved like a knight. Behaved like what Sansa hate, or what the real version of what she thought was all glory and flowers and victories. She stood up for Dantos, risked her life to do it, and saved him. You know, <laughs> only for Littlefinger to kill him later. But still, the action was notable. And it was meaningful, not just to Dantos, not just to her, not just to his readers, but to people like Sandor around her. Sandor gained a lot more respect for Sansa because of what she did for Joff, or for Dantos. And he backed her up, remember? He's like, she's like, it's, it's bad luck to kill someone on your name day. And Joffrey's like, what? I never heard that. And Sandor backs the lie. He's like, I've heard that. I've heard that. They say that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, All right, fine. All right. Yeah, this this moment, this 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 little Nats tournament was crucial Sandor Sansa character building and connecting building. The connecting building, whatever. That it worked. It did it. They mu- fusing, bonding, whatever. They became closer. And it's good stuff. I believe that is all the extra tournaments I was going to mention. So I think that's it for today. You have a question? Trivia question. Trivia question. That's right. Yeah. I, I was making sure we had nothing else to do before that. The trivia question was. Which knight defeated someone in the hands tourney and then killed them for real later? The answer is Loris Tyrell. Loris Tyrell defeated Robar Royce in the tournament and then killed him in anger when Renly was slain because Emin Kai and Robar Royce were guarding the tent and Loris was furious that they failed to protect him and killed them both. He has since realized the error of his ways there. And yeah, that's probably weighing on him pretty severely because they did nothing wrong. But yeah, he killed them both. He killed Emin Kai and Robar Royce in his wrath. So there you go. I bet a lot of people were thinking of Gregor and that one, or maybe the Hound. Yeah. Or even Jamie, people. maybe. But yeah, there were people that thought of Gregor and the Hound. They're like, wait, the Hound isn't a knight. So it can't be, you know, they're thinking of the Barrack <laughs> specifically with the house, Barrack so. was in the tournament. That's a good call. Yeah, Barrack was in the tournament briefly. Mm-hmm. But yeah. That's it. It was Loris. <sighs> yep. Robar Royce. Robar Royce. The Royces were all over you know, under the radar there. Jan Royce was in a couple of these tournaments as a competitor. And then they just went home after the tournament. And it would have been nice for them to stick around because Ned really could have used a Royce, Royce's help <laughs> when things started to go south in the south. Mm-hmm. We mentioned a few of our other episodes. We mentioned our Elaine TWOW coverage that we actually have two versions of that. We have a recent one that we did with Radio Westeros and a one that we did much longer ago. Yeah, right when it was released. Right when it was released. So both versions have different things in them. There is some overlap, of course, but quite, we, we endeavored to keep them as different as possible. So they're both worth listening to if you haven't already or are thinking of a re-listen. We certainly tunked, tunked, talked a lot about <laughs> tournaments during Dunkin' Egg. That's where the unk came from. <laughs> so certainly during, mostly during the Hedge Knight and the Mystery Knight, obviously the Sworn Sword has a lot less tournament stuff in it. But if you're looking for a little more, check out those two series. They're both four episodes long, each one, including the Sworn Sword one. So 12 episodes on Dunkin' Egg, plus the wrap-up, which was the 13th episode. But it's a lucky one. It's not an unlucky 13th. It's a lucky 13th. <laughs> you can also... Find all of our other episodes on Spotify or Apple Music or Google Play, wherever you find podcasts. You can also find them on Patreon, where you can find bonus episodes, as well as the ones on Spotify. We have bonus episodes on both. You can sign up to be a regular subscriber and get access to those, as well as other bonus content, things like voting in polls, 
access to our scripts and notes, things like that. Thanks as well to Nina for her notes. Super valuable as always. Got a lot of great discussion points in there, things we wouldn't have noticed. Some tidbits from history as well as in-world. Thanks as well to Kevin for our music. Thanks to Michael for our maps and to Jesse Koval and Joey Townsend for our regular intro music. Thanks to everyone who came and watched live and participated in the chat. And thanks to anyone who listens at any time. We do appreciate your listenership, your watcherness, <laughs> whatever, however you choose to consume History of Westeros. I want to say, I wish I had brought this up earlier, but uh, anyone who's going to be at this con in LA, come up and say hi, please. I, I'm excited to meet people soon. Absolutely. Yes. That goes for any con we're at, whether the year 2022 or beyond. We are we go to a decent number of conventions, partly because we like going, but also partly because we learn a lot of things there. A lot of our scoops come from conventions. A lot of people we meet and network with that give us later opportunities and friendships happen at conventions. Same yeah, thing. We it's, would not have had our interview with George R. R. Martin if we hadn't gone to conventions and because we didn't I don't know if y'all know, but like we didn't ask for that. Like like that was offered that. to us yeah. because of the you know, we put the work in. But we didn't we didn't send them an email and be like, hey, can we do this? So you know. It's basically the same concept we just described with tournaments. Like you yeah. want FaceTime with the people yeah, who like you said. <laughs> who are important or yeah. who have uh, who have pull in the industry or in the community or in the fandom. They, you got to go to conventions. That's 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 the way of it, you know. And and that's not necessarily true for everyone, but it's definitely true for us being doing what we do. And that's also kind of like the tournaments. This is sort of like these meta values, but the the panels themselves are very enlightening yeah. and insightful. And yeah, I learned a lot. Going, I like going. I mean, I've done a lot of panels, but I go attend a lot of panels too. I really do enjoy yeah. that process of listening to what people have to say because people choose really clever, off the beaten path topics a lot of times and. Some of them are not off the beaten path. They're just really good, you know, like like music stuff that takes a special kind of analysis or, or education to be able to speak to properly or acting or costuming or literary analysis, things like that. Just any, you name it, how to costume, how to, yeah. So that they have a lot of things in common. FaceTime with important people, cosplay, fun. Usually modern conventions don't have people dying, but... <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> You're going to TwitchCon, you'll have someone breaking their back. And you do have, you do have injuries, yeah. though, yeah. <laughs> Usually drunken, but, I, but not always. <laughs> I had a, another thought, by the way, of attorney thing, that uh, a new house was born at that tournament that Dunk was at, right? The Fossaway. Oh, the, the green the apple green fossil. Red yeah. red hey, hey great yeah. point. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I didn't I, think about that. I'm especially upset. I didn't think of it because my drink had... They have a new apple flavored Red Bull that I mixed into my. Oh drink yeah, today. how is that? Is it good? <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah, better than the regular. I mean, or you know, yeah, I think it's better than regular. I don't like regular Red yeah, Bull for what it's worth. Not a either. The flavor of regular Red Bull is like Ugh, to me. Okay. So. <laughs> right on. But it's all this apple. I'm like, I'll try it. It's fine. Not as good as Mountain Dew, but did it give you wings? <laughs> <laughs> I have wings anyway. <laughs> so I didn't get more wings. <laughs> didn't get longer. They turn from angel wings to dragon wings. (laughs) There you go. That's an improvement. (laughs) Okay, folks. With that last bit of apple Red Bull knowledge and wings, we (laughs) say adieu for this time. Remember, no episode next week, but we'll be back in two weeks and won't have another break until January for MAGFest when Shea is going to be gone. Yeah, I'll be in Maryland for MAGFest if you're going to the Music and Gaming Festival, which is about video games. Yeah. So we'll see you all in two weeks. In the meantime, you know what to do. Valar re-watches and Valar re-readus. <laughs> <laughs>